Unite Crockett and Todd of the best in the world. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars toys began. And Kenner continues the excitement. The Empire Strikes Back collection. El Regreso del Jedi. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. It's the Kivecast. Star Space Station, the snap open space hatch. Sometimes known as the Vintage Pod. Wow, what a weird place. A monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fudd, Chewbacca, and Stephen B. Dent. B-Wing Fighters and B-Wing Pilot Action. B-Wing Pilot Action. B-Wing Pilot Action. B-Wing Pilot Action. Market data mined by Brisbane Brisbane Mike. Luke Skywalker handles his saber well. And Fratastic Pete. Boba has a seat helmet. Tech support by the low ones. It's the final Kivecast before Episode 7 and the official beginning of the postquel era. Stephen Skye briefly discussed the new movie, which somehow becomes a discussion on race and sexuality in the Star Wars universe. Then, we invite way too many people to the Space Chess Roundtable to discuss the ethics in vintage Star Wars collecting. Hey Ross Cuddy from Canada, Derek and Greg from Singapore, and Ross Barr from the back of his van join us to discuss promises, sheet cutting, box folding, flipping of all sorts, and buying stolen toys. Join the conversation with episode order 66, Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. Wampa Wampa. Welcome to Kivecast 66. Yes, execute episode 66. You were you were really waiting for that one, weren't you? <laughs> I was. I didn't even fully get into it. No. Um, of course, episode 66 was supposed to be the Luke Hoth episode, Steve. <laughs> oh, the, the phantom of our show's existence. Yeah, m- remember, have- remember three weeks ago when I said I'd be releasing it next week? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how much intention I had of recording it, of releasing it next week? I'm going to guess uh, nil. Yes, I, I had no intention. Uh, it just know. it just gets funnier. <laughs> Although I do feel bad because it's a good episode and, and poor Will and Isaac are, are waiting. But what's great is I actually just saw Will uh, two days ago. <laughs> did, did he mention the episode? No, and I didn't want to bring it up. Was, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just that's funny. <laughs> well, Steve, you know, when we, when we did the... The Chewbacca episode, you know, I kind of let myself off the leash. And uh, a a little bit on episode 66 here, uh, in honor of my Emperor side focus, uh, I think I'm going to let myself off the leash a little bit uh, as well here. Yeah, um, it's all right. You gotta you gotta let go sometimes. Get off the off the chain. I think that's that's how you put it, right? Yeah, it's a horrible term. It's awfully uh, it's awfully lame, but uh, yes, off the chain. Well, you know, it's been it's been weird, you know, because uh, obviously the the events the events in Paris um, yeah, yeah. Hit, hit me really hard. I mean, I've just basically just been depressed the last three or four days. Yeah, um, doing my best to kind of keep up and. Yeah, it's been interesting because I've never posted anything that even resembles a political thought on Facebook before, Steve. Right, I, I've never seen you do that, no. 
And I didn't really think I was, but it turns out that I really was. And I just sort of gave some thoughts about France being a secular society and, and not being uh, very nationalistic. Right and, right, and those are things that I think are being threatened by these new events and the reaction to them. Anyways, it, it went down this whole rabbit hole. And I realized one thing, which is it's really – one thing I like about Facebook is that you can't talk about politics or um, you know, religion on rebel scum. That's true. So That's true. there's something interesting about the fact that almost Everybody who's a Star Wars friend of mine who posts a political thought is extremely far away from me politically. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, uh, but you know, you can remain civil because you you want to stay friends and you have reasons right, right. to stay friends because you know we have this common interest. So it is kind of a, a heartening thing for humanity. Yeah, no, it's definitely a different scene, and yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's it's and you, the conversation that happened was I thought. Yeah, like you said, it was really civil. So yeah, it's it's all good. Yeah, but you you were too smart to to chime in, Steve. I, but the I, point I, is, I, I left out the part where I said I and I still <laughs> I still stay silent. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the the main issue is one second. I need to cough. I got like a little. I was sick for a while too, and so I got uh -oh. this little coughing thing in my. So Steve, you, you sing for a second while I cough this out. Are you ready to sing? Uh, um, sing uh, "Groove Is in the Heart" by. Um, uh, what's the name of that band? Who sang Groove is in the Heart? Uh, like D-Love uh, or... Uh, Anyways, okay. You sing Groove is in the Heart while I cough, okay? Three, two, uh, one. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. That was my best... Uh, <laughs> Well, Tina Belcher. I don't know if you watch Bob's Burgers, but yes. at least when I put in that, get put in that position, I just <laughs> I immediately think of Tina Belcher. So, sorry. Well, anyways, I'm kind of fired up because um, we had the idea of doing the ethics episode. Right, yeah. Um, and that was tied into the Black Bestman Security Guard. And yeah. we're going to have a huge, mega, wega episode. <laughs> um, it's just going to be insane because it's going to have um, – we're going to have two people named Ross again. Yep, yep. Uh, Ross Cuddy and Ross Barr. Um, just to make it easier, Steve, I've already warned Ross – that I'm just going to call him, whoa, Ross Cuddy, bam, shabam, whoa, Ross Cuddy, bam, shabam, uh, every time I refer to him. Uh, that um, should work, yeah. And it's good because we, we totally intended to have him on at, at Celebration and that didn't work out. So it's it's good to, to get him in here. That's right. And so they, they both have talked about ethics before. And then for some reason, two of the major collectors from Singapore, Derek uh, and Greg, both yeah. – it's kind of a weird, selfish thing where a lot of the conversation is going to be driven by my experiences. But the hope is that with such a large panel, we'll get to sort of start off in one place and then kind of go throughout the entire adventure. So that's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah. But before we get there, I want to just get some things out, Steve, because we're talking about the Black Bespin Guard. Yeah. And it's one month before uh, Episode 7 comes out. Yep. Right? So we get to finally see if the Dinoga is in it or not. Yes. Um, <laughs> my vote is that you are going to see a Dinoga. Uh, yeah, what's your vote, probably, Steve? I would say Dinoga has a higher chance than uh, Captain Panaka, which is, is disappointing. But. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I've just been having all these thoughts because, you know, the Black Bestman Security Guard, I think it's finally time, Steve, for us to address race. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's this is something that, that interests me a lot. I know, and, yeah. And everybody already hates me for for <laughs> suggesting that the Pledge of Allegiance is strange to Europeans. Um, <laughs> so why don't we just let everybody hate me? 
um, <laughs> based on these theories. So first of all, I did want to talk about the trailer because okay. I listened to a lot of podcasts about the international trailer, right? Oh. Which, oh, yeah. which came out and first of all, it was racist of everybody to call it international trailer. It was only for Japan. Yeah, so. that was strange. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was one thing. And then nobody mentioned the fact that Finn, the black character, is hardly in it. They mentioned it, but they didn't say why. And the Hmm. reason why is the world has a racist perception that with the exception of Will Smith, black action stars can't open movies internationally. Huh. Ah, I hadn't even thought about that. I only saw uh, that trailer once. Um, But, man, I guess I'll have to go back and look at it again. So it's cool because it seems like the movie itself is making progress. But still, with the marketing of it, it's not making progress. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so no one no one mentioned that, and I think that's very clear because Ray is all over the place and she's everywhere, and then you know, there's lots of robots and and masked figures, which I guess would would please the Japanese market. Go back to episode four of the Kivecast to hear more about the Japanese oh, market. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, I just kind of thought that was like another thing I wanted to mention. I thought, okay, well, people are going to take me as some kind of weird bleeding heart liberal, and then. The, my movie thought was going to be about another thought about C-3PO just being a crazy racist. <laughs> um, yeah, we, have, we haven't visited this topic for a while. Sky here. We're going to get back to the crazy theories on race. But uh, I actually realized there was tons of stuff about Force Awakens that uh, I want to mention before it comes out. Just so that I'm kind of like ahead of the curve here. So uh, you have to apologize, Steve. But uh, th- these are some thoughts that I've had. <clears throat> One, uh, I think it's going to look... More like a Spielberg movie than like a Lucas movie. And I think you can see that in the way that the trailers and the TV spots all show that the most important thing is what the characters are looking at, which is like the main function of uh, the way Spielberg gets people to emote when they watch his movies is you don't see the thing. You see the thing through the eyes of the people who see it. And then I think that's actually tied into the way that BB-8 is designed as being primarily, you know, we focus on his gyroscopic motion, but really he's just one eye. And I think that, uh, especially in a lot of the trailers where you see BB-8 looking one way, uh, and then that's what you see. And the main emphasis is on BB-8's gaze, to use a grad school word. And then beyond that, the, one of the things he looks at is the, is the TIE fighters in, in the sun, you know, in the sunset. And a lot of people have pointed out that that's uh, copying Apocalypse Now by Francis Ford Coppola. I just want to mention one thing that doesn't have anything to do with Star Wars, but does have to do with French culture, which uh, I think we all need to promote and appreciate um, for what it is, which is that during that scene in Apocalypse Now, they play The Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner, you know, bum ba 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 and he always gets credit, Coppola gets credit for that invention. The truth is, that was first mentioned by Marcel Proust, the great French writer, who described uh, in his uh, in Search for Lost Time, he described the air raids during World War I as being like watching a German opera, with the music of the Ride of Valkyries going. And he like described that, the, that they were sort of flying through the sky like Valkyries, all the airplanes were. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that that device of using Wagner in the middle of a, of a, a space battle or whatever, or a, a, a battle between flying uh, ships, actually comes from Proust and not from Coppola. A few more ideas. Um, one is that 
if you'd pre- this isn't a spoiler. This is a spoiling. So uh, if you don't want to change the way you think about Kylo Ren forever, don't listen to my next point. Um, Kylo Ren, he's kind of Napoleon Dynamite. If you listen to him talk, the way that he talks in that kind of nerdy, angry, dork voice, like, I'll finish what you started. So anyways, uh, you can have fun with this. My kids and I spent a long time coming up with the best possible Kylo Dynamite uh, <laughs> combinations. I'll do whatever I want to do. Gosh. I'm totally going to finish what you started. You have Darth Vader's lightsaber. Lucky. Get your own cross guard. Gosh. Ray, I like your sleeves. You know, because like she has like those weird cut-off sleeve deals. It's a Tauntampa. It's a cross between a Wampa and a Tauntaun. It's pretty much my favorite animal. Call out to any of our people who can make the best Kylo Ren, Napoleon Dynamite, uh, Photoshop mashup. Uh, so that, that may ruin uh, Kylo Ren for you, or it may not. So I believe that's all the things that I really absolutely needed to get out there about Episode Seven before it opens. Um, so, anyway, Spielberg, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, and Proust. Uh, welcome to Sky's getting to edit when Steve is not around. Oh, let's talk about something that Steve likes. Um, film preservation. Um, uh, baseball games, uh, uh, baseball video games, and Wayne's World. Let's get back to the show with racism and Star Wars. The, my movie thought was going to be about another thought about C-3PO just being a crazy racist. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we haven't visited this topic for a while. It's been almost a month, but uh, <laughs> it's like Chewy fixes him, right? Yeah, yeah. And then what's like basically the first thing he says after he's fixed? Oh, I mean, it was some kind of insult, right? He, he says he's just a Wookiee. Right, yeah. And Steve... I mean, I don't think there's any other way of interpreting. I mean, that's the whole thing is, can you do a weird sort of, is there supposed to be some kind of rough racial division in mm-hmm. Star Wars characters? This is where Steve and I were sort of dancing around what I was trying to say. Because um, it is kind of a weird, touchy subject. But my sort of thought is, I don't think that Wookiees are supposed to be Africans. I don't think it's like that. But I think their history and the way that they're perceived in the Star Wars world is very similar to the way Africans and people of African descent are perceived of and treated in our world. So I think the uh, false perception of a certain primitive nature when really they're technologically advanced and they're they're quite sophisticated – uh, the horrible history of exploitation and slavery. I think that's all there. Uh, the, all these kinds of things play in, which isn't really a problem, except it's interesting when you see that Leia thinks about Wookiees as being basically subspecies, saying she just assumed kiss a Wookiee, and then you have C-3PO, this sort of weird, racist, colonial robot, saying it's just a Wookiee. So that's the point I was trying to go for. But Steve and I were dancing around it so much, it actually uh, didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> um, so that was my movie thought. And then Steve, but I even have positive things to say. Okay. Do, so you don't watch Rebels, do you? I, I actually have been watching it. Yeah. It's okay. Like I finally like caught up and uh, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty much up to speed with it. Okay. First of all, I'd like to say it is maybe one-tenth as good as Clone Wars. I, I watch it. You know what? It. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm, you might not you know, believe it, but I would agree with you in the sense that, I mean, I, I actually like Clone Wars a lot more than I've liked Rebels. But that, I saw it way after the fact, so maybe that has something to do with it too. Right. 
But there is a thing in the most recent episode. Now, this isn't about about race. It's about gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen anyone mention this, Steve. But they had in Rebels the return of the clones. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nobody has mentioned that they're all gay. <laughs> they are all practically stereotypically in the gay subculture of what are known as bears. Are you familiar with this, Steve? I've heard that term, yeah. Okay, um, so, you know, I've spent a fair amount of time in the in the gay community. I've, I've never been gay, but whatever. I spent a lot of time there. And so, as it says in Wikipedia, a male gay culture, a bear is a larger, hairier man who projects who projects an image of rugged masculinity. And if you've known many bears, the kind of, like, shaved head with big beard and, like, tank tops and, like, arms showing, it's like they are outrageously like flamboyantly bears and <laughs> and it's great i don't think anyone mentions it you know they're just living out there by themselves in the middle of the desert fishing and hanging out right <laughs> anyway so that's the next of my fantastic theories so steve what do we have so far we have so, uh is a racist yes yeah. um star wars is racist because it refuses to show finn in japan uh but it's not homophobic because all the clones are now Elder bears, which I think are called daddy bears, maybe. <laughs> that, muscle- that I wouldn't. I'm not sure, but <laughs> maybe, maybe muscle bears. Listen, we have some. Uh, we have some listeners who might know. So email us kivecast at gmail dot com. What kind of bears are the clones? Or am I wrong? I don't know, Steve. I could be wrong. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's see what kind of feedback you get. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this is why I want to come down to the basement. I, I couldn't record all this upstairs. <laughs> Uh, uh, how you been doing, Steve? <laughs> I've been doing great. Yeah, every, everything's good. Um, I'm, it's, I feel like we got some momentum here. It was only yeah a couple of weeks ago since we recorded, so yeah, I feel I feel fresh. Um, well, but yeah, I, I, yeah. Mean, I, I was uh, I, I was trying to think. I mean, in terms of the figure this month, um, this is going to sound kind of strange, maybe. But when I first started collecting like a loose set, uh, I didn't. You know, I saw like our my crazy awesome babysitter that we've mentioned before, she like printed out a list of all the, uh, the figures to kind of track down. And, um, I saw that there are two, you know, best guards and in parentheses, one said white, one said black. And for whatever reason, when I, you know, I just didn't even associate for whatever reason, I thought they had different color uniforms. I like didn't oh. even associate. Like, <laughs> and this is me as like a, I guess probably an, a nine year old. Um, so you're, I didn't you're see like the, Stephen Colbert. You don't even exactly. see race. Yeah, I was gonna say I was I was an eight year old Stephen Colbert. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just uh, it just didn't even cross my mind at that point because I just hadn't seen the figure. Um, so I thought that was kind of kind of funny to think back. I didn't even thought about that until we were getting ready to do this episode. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 just interesting. Um, well, the, the whole thing about the Bestman security guard is it is strange. It's the only figure, right, where there's two different versions of a figure that has right. the same name. Right. And I don't know where black comes from. I don't know who was the first a, person to say black. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I just assumed it was a, a you know a something generated by collectors to, to distinguish because, not, yeah, like you said, nothing in terms of like – promotional material or the card backs or anything they don't they just say bestman security guard so but, i mean all the yeah. ewoks have different names you right. know they right. should just all just say ewok because i still don't know the difference <laughs> between warwick and rumba 66 <laughs> episodes in steve i don't know which one's which you know what's great about that we're gonna get to them we, can, we, we can are be- 
Are we closer to Warrock and Rumbo than we are to Luke Skywalker? How are we doing in our, in our episodes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's just interesting to think about. Because, yeah, other than that, I mean, when you get into the modern figures, they started making figures with different beards. <laughs> you know, right. They started using facial hair to, to distinguish. But, yeah, it's it's kind of a a unique thing with the, the vintage line. So... And then they just give them, you know, now they give them names, but right, know, right. Bestman security guard was for a while. Uh, uh, I was thinking about getting a focus on the character. Yeah, I, I remember like years ago, you you thinking about. It. I wasn't sure if you ever actually got anything beyond the, the piece we're going to be talking about tonight. No, I, I didn't. Um, okay. But I was really thinking about it just because I'm interested in the way that race is portrayed in Star Wars. I, because yeah. it, it's a third rail, and people don't want to talk about it. But obviously with different aliens and I don't even want to get into racist or not racist. I think it's just more interesting, you know, the fact that what happened – and this is actually another general call I want to put out there. Okay. Was Lucas responding to a specific criticism about Star Wars being too white? Because I've never read anything. I've just – Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, I haven't read anything either. But yeah, I mean when you get – I, I was trying to think about it in terms of the three original movies, and you. I guess one thing I thought was that pretty much everyone in the first one was just some British actor, <laughs> aside right. from the principals. So I kind of get that um, to a degree. But then, yeah, once you get into Empire, you, you have Lando, that's this prominently featured character. And by you get by the time you get to Jedi, you have you know a bit more you know diversity in there, I guess. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know. Like, I'd be interested to see if there's some kind of you know, written documentation of, of some kind of criticism on that line. I'm sure there is if you if you know where to look for it. But um, well, one of our fans does. I, this is probably like a Duncan question. He probably has okay. some article somewhere that, that yeah. says it. Right. Um, but actually, the, speaking of sort of weird racism, it also comes around with the character of Finn itself because we don't yeah. know his name. And by the time next episode we release, we'll know something about it. But there's been a wild amount of speculation that Finn is Lando's son. Okay, see, this is like in my my totally out of my territory. I was wondering if like all that has already been revealed for you guys that that follow spoilers. But um... no, it, it hasn't. Okay, all right. it's just that seems totally ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah. My son, I'm pretty proud of him because he goes, no, he's the ice cream maker guy's son. <laughs> And he's, he was like, "Yeah, he must have he must have found his lightsaber at the bottom of the pit, and that's how he has his lightsaber." Oh, that now, oh man, because that's that's, a, that's just brilliant. That totally makes sense. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, who knows who the ice cream maker guy is? But then I would like to go one step further. Maybe it's the best one security guards kid. You know, right? I mean, let's talk about the three prominent black characters in. In the original trilogy, Ice Cream Maker Guy, Bestman Security Guard, and and uh, and Lando, right? right. Am, I, am I missing yeah. any? I mean, none that are like prominently featured like that. There was the one pilot that immediately gets blown up in Return of the Jedi. Oh, right. He was uh, an A-Wing, right? Uh, I think he was an X-Wing. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's true. It, I mean, it, maybe there was some kind of ruffian-looking pirate guys in Jabba's Palace along with the other human characters. But no, I mean, I think that's... Those are the ones that come to mind. Um, yeah, I don't but, know. But returning to the Bestman security guard, the reason yeah. that I was so interested in him is just how weird he is. Yeah. I mean, just... I mean, he's... His face is, is really strange. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like his features aren't that easily readable. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, he looks like he might actually be like Indian as opposed to African. I can't, you can't quite tell like from yeah. the, from the picture and just how uh, washed out the stormtroopers are. Mm-hmm. And he just seems so strange. And then the weird pose. Yeah. Well, the figure itself is just, it's one of the oddly, more oddly sculpted ones. Um, just with that, that lean, uh, and then he's just a lean character uh, as well. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> so he leans and he's lean. And yeah. he's lean, yeah. <laughs> he's a lean, lean, leaner. Well, it's funny because I... Um, I uh, I texted Ron today because uh, uh, the nugget from the archive is coming from Ron Salvatore. Yep. And uh, I just asked him because there are certain people in the hobby who wish us not to reveal the name of the sculptors at this point. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of have come up with nicknames. And I said, yeah. does he have a nickname yet? And so Ron gives the ultimate Ron response and just goes, just call him Tillman because he's a big fan of Tillman Reimenschneider. <laughs> so Tillman Reimenschneider, we've made reference to him before, but he's a Northern Renaissance German sculptor. Okay. And uh, right. I've put up some pictures of his work here and he's – it's exactly the Bespin security guard. <laughs> like if you look at his Adam, right? He this did an is, Adam and Eve. The, uh, this is the, the picture you had emailed me, right? Yes. I emailed yes. you the picture. He's yeah. got – the feet are at the same angle. Mm-hmm. He's sort of got this sort of extended, one might say, mannerist arm and – it's exactly the Bespin security guard. Yeah, yeah. But then I was looking at it more, Steve, and I came up with another comparison. <laughs> well, this is where it starts to really <laughs> – oh, man. <laughs> I don't know together. how I'd never noticed this, Steve. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. <laughs> but the Bespin security guard is a dark-skinned figure with legs, with with his feet splayed out, and his arm – extended outward as though he were holding something. Mm-hmm. I was looking at it today and I realized he looks just like a lawn jockey. Yeah. Now, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, Sky, that's so racist. And so I had to look it up. I had to look at pictures of lawn jockeys and I actually just sort of went down a rabbit hole and started studying lawn jockeys. It's a really <laughs> fascinating story. <laughs> They're like hundreds of years old and it used to actually be for like tying up your horses and stuff. Yeah, and it wasn't always associated with black character, with black skin or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but eventually, particularly in the American South, if you don't know what a lawn jockey is, it's like a, a little tiny character that you put in your lawn, and he just sort of holds out um, like a little hoop, and you're supposed to tie up your horse, or you can put a lantern there. Yeah, and it's to welcome people, and traditionally they exist in both white skin and black skin. But whenever they're painted with black skin, it's horribly racist, cartoonish, um, sort of Sambo character. Right, right. And so it's associated with a particular kind of Southern racism. Um, but in looking it up, there's actually two different kinds of lawn jockey, Steve. <laughs> really? Yeah, now I want to study them. There's, <laughs> there's Jocko lawn jockeys, which are squatter and a lot less dignified. And those, if you look up those online, you will find some crazy racist stuff. But then there's the Cavalier lawn jockey, and that's the one that actually looks a little bit like the Bestman Security okay, Guard. Okay, so that's, that's the one you sent me here. Um, it, it's uncanny, the, at least the pose. I mean, the, the way the feet are, and it's crazy. And, and there's there's a crudeness to the paint application yeah, on the Bestman yeah. Security Guard that isn't with Lando. It's not with the other black character, even the other times that Lando's that way. Like, there's mm-hmm. a sort of crazy darkness 
and a, a real kind of crazy juxtaposition as well uh, with the white of the eyes that really honestly make it look like a lawn jockey. I, I actually asked Ron, I said, well, first of all, what can we name the sculptor? And he said, call him Tillman. Okay, so we're right. calling him Tillman after the, the German sculptor. Like that. So I said, is Tillman racist? And he said, no, he seemed like a really reasonable guy. So I, I don't think this was anything intentional. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a, an interesting coincidence. But it's one of these things where once you've seen it, you kind of can't unsee it. That's, yeah, that's exactly it. I, I definitely, I can't disassociate these two images now. But the reason, Steve, that I thought of this in the first place was because of a picture that you sent me, speaking uh, of racism. Yes. Because yes. most of the lawn jockeys that I see yeah. are not black lawn jockeys, because that's evidently mm -hmm. racist, but they're white lawn jockeys. The problem mm -hmm. is people take molds of black lawn jockeys and just paint them white. So they ah. actually look somehow more crazy racist than the black okay. lawn jockeys. Right. So, this, so what did you send is, me, Steve? Okay, so uh, this is, must have been at least 10 years ago, uh, back when I first started to kind of collect those bizarre, you know, you know, mangled, reject, or like child, you know, altered figures. And uh, a, an old friend of Brock's that he, I went to school with kind of found out that I was picking up these things and he said, Oh my God, I found something in another friend's like childhood collection that is just so terrible, but it belongs in your collection. It's just insane. So what it is, it's a, it's a black bestman security guard that has been painted over with whiteout and the eyes like repainted. So <laughs> it's just insane to me. Uh, and yeah, I, uh, I, I will, we'll put a picture of it up. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that just blew my mind uh when i saw it and uh I, yeah now that you've brought up this whole thing about re recasting uh the lawn jockeys and, and repainting them it's it's, it's the, the parallel is just it's blowing my mind right now yeah it, it's really wild so yeah i don't even know what to say steve but this image is, is amazing i think it tells a story you know, it's a self-hating security guard. I don't, yeah, see, I don't know what, what it tells you. What I wonder you. is like, did the, is it something that the a parent did, or right. was it the kid? I, I don't know, but it's like pretty meticulously done. So I, yeah, it's it, one of the most bizarre um, custom or you know figures I've ever come across. Well, it's it's just clearly the product of just horrible racism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like most of the things I've been talking about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you know, Steve, I did just get a text from Derek asking if we were going, uh, when we were coming on. Yeah, we're, we're coming up on that, on that time on the clock, right? I, I think uh, we are. Well, then I, I'm going to actually... Uh, do, you, uh, do you have Sky Coups? I do have just one Sky Coup. Okay. Because the character himself, I don't know if he even really merits... Because he's never on screen, right? Is he on screen? I, I mean, I feel like... It might be like if you see the the movie like in regular widescreen, you might be off to the side somewhere. But I, I honestly only remember seeing him on the card back and then the decipher like card game. Right, <laughs> That's, those are the two places I remember seeing him. Okay, so here is my Bespin security guard, Skyku. <clears throat> Tillman made me tilt, staring out under a blue hat. Eyes leap from dark clouds. <laughs> Man, nicely done. Yes. A little, a little bit more poetic, not quite as yeah. funny. 
Yeah, yeah. But there's, well, I, I, I think it was that picture that you sent me, Steve. It made me feel really bad for the Bespin security guard. It made me feel like <laughs> nobody loves the Bespin security guard. It makes me feel like we have to go all the way to Singapore to find somebody who loves the Bespin security guard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, oh, Did you I, have any uh, script to fill? I did. I, Derek can wait. He's yeah, hanging he, out. It's he like five. It's like 11 in the morning over yeah, it's, there. Yeah, it's like the middle of the work day for those He's guys. He's cool making chemical weapons, whatever he does over there. He's fine. <laughs> Um, so as you might expect, there, there isn't much mention that I could find of the, of the security guards in, in scripts, but, so I figured I'd just go with something else that I found that I kind of liked that was Bespin related. Uh, so this is from the early Lee Bracket draft, um, and it's all, it's kind of two Leia things. Um, and so the first, what I thought was kind of funny is that, uh, in, in that version of the story, to kind of hide her identity, uh, temporarily, Leia goes under the pseudonym of Miss Ethania Eredith while on on Bespin. <laughs> so that's weird. that's point one, which is extremely weird because she's still with Han Solo and Chewie. It's not like <laughs> you know. I, I don't see what the point of that was really, um, other than to just sound strange. But uh, the part part two of this is uh, the uh, the old dining room betrayal scene, which which was there back back in the beginning. Um, but so, you know, they've, they've confronted Vader and, uh, they're having this interesting long conversation, which obviously didn't get, <laughs> didn't make it to the final movie. Um, but Leia gets really, uh, chippy with, with Vader. Um, this is, this is her line to him, uh, after Lando just assures her that they're going to be fine. He won't do anything. He's promised not to hurt you. She says, ha, I've enjoyed Lord Vader's hospitality before. What's the matter, Lord Vader? Have you gone so far beyond humanity that you can no longer eat or drink? (laughs) (laughs) To which Vader replies, I have had to forgo those simple pleasures, like so many others. (laughs) It's amazing. I think we know one of the other ones he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's, uh, that's pretty well. Yeah, it's definitely. You said it was Lee Brackety? I I would agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's like straight, like Lauren Bacall getting chippy with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I just I just laughed out loud when I read that. Just, yeah, I guess he doesn't get to eat or drink or other things. So, <laughs> um, uh, anyway, that's that's a tangential script flip. No, I love it. And, you know, we're going to be doing this roundtable, so you don't really have that much time for news. That's true. And, and so I'll just put in the news drop right here for less than two seconds. Okay. <laughs> The main thing is, Steve, is there are two huge auctions going on. Oh, yeah, I see. I'm, I'm completely out of loop here. I, I, I think I know of one, but uh, go ahead. Well, one is the bathing ape guy, Nigo. Right, Nigo. yes, that's that's the one I had, I had heard of. He's selling his stuff again, so we're going to have huge reactions. I mean, he's selling like a whole bunch of FET stuff and proofs. It's like a, a carded uh, DT loop, right? I think some other crazy yeah. Yeah. And then there's something that I am really, really tempted to buy. Ooh, okay. This comes from Bruce White. Oh, of course. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I forget what I came up with him. What did I call him? Like the Velvet Hammer or something? Or... Oh, my God. That's uh, <laughs> what they... I called him. Uh, I called him lots of things last week. <laughs> you, you did. You did. <laughs> but... <laughs> but our friend, friend of the podcast, Space Freak number one. Rick Springfield is selling off much of his Star Wars collection. Really? Including his 
childhood Chewbacca. Wow. Now, in terms of AFA seventy two thousand five hundred dollars. <laughs> so oh my goodness. I don't know if I can swing that. I'll see. I, I, d- I did just that- get a, a tax return check. <laughs> um, so I may I may have to go for it. I mean, but. that's like the ultimate, like crossover holy grail. I mean, in terms of you know, for you of course being chewy, and then just like the history of the show, like that was like a pinnacle moment for you. That's yeah, wow, man. I don't it know. was. I'm gonna think about nuts. it. Christmas is coming up. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Oh yeah, and plus Bruce's art was featured in some show. Who cares? Okay, yes. moving on. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's just around the block for me, man. That was awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it was only you know open for two days, but the auctions are still going. The, the Art Awakens um, exhibit, which was just there's some killer stuff in there. Um, so so you, let's reset, Steve. Yeah. So we are talking <laughs> about the Art Awakens, which is an art show raising money for UNICEF in right. the name yeah. of Force Awakens, and yeah. Bruce White, the world's most dangerous murderer. Uh, an artist is selling two pieces there. Yes. And I have to say, you know, I saw the picture on Friday night and it was in um, the middle of all the stuff in Paris and I was crying yeah, yeah. and just depressed. And to see a picture of J.J. Abrams next to my good friend and future murderer's <laughs> art was just amazing. Like, it made me so happy yeah. to see J.J. Abrams in front yeah. of Bruce's work. I don't even know why. It's not yeah. like it's, I, di- I didn't do anything. I didn't make the art. I didn't send J.J. there. But I was just so happy for him because you, you really root for yeah. him to, to, to be a good person, to have success um, so that he doesn't murder us all. But yeah, so that was uh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... The, the auctions are still going. I think for the next you know five days or so. So you probably want you might not hear it by now. But it anyway, check out check it out. Just hey man, I might stuff. edit this. You never know. I I, I don't know. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to make any promises. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was a uh, friend of the show, Tommy Garvey. Um, and I, I always have to remember to put his little stinger, which is from oh, yeah. the holiday special. Which which aired today, right? Yes, which aired. This is the yeah. 38th anniversary of the, of the holiday special. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, or 37th? Uh, 37th, I think. Yeah, 37th. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, he has a new feature on the archive. Yes. And uh, he explains exactly how an action figure is made. And uh, from start to finish, and were we not doing this crazy monkey bananas roundtable, uh, we'd be talking to him. But go check it out because it is very clear and very well written. Yeah, so, I wish I, I told him this. I wish that it like this exact thing had existed or could have existed like ten years ago. I mean, it, there was all you know, it was all there in, in sporadic places, but having one cohesive, like really easy to follow step by step thing is just it's awesome. So. Yeah, he takes it every single possible step all the way through. Um, and it's cool because it starts off with the Carl Sagan line, which makes me <laughs> really happy. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, – anyways. Uh, so he said, if you wish to make a KO Mall action figure from scratch, you must first create KO Mall. <laughs> <laughs> Very fine. Okay, Steve. So listen – 
I need you to go on Skype and I need you to tell everybody that we're going to be calling them soon. And then also Facebook because Ross Barr only exists on Facebook. I don't think I'll deign to use email or anything else. I mean, I don't know what. You let everybody know that we're going to be calling. We're doing it now, right? Are we yeah, doing it now? Yeah, I think we're doing it now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, awesome. Uh, but, cool. but it ain't my money either. So. That's true. All right. Well, let, let's have a big old round table and, uh, and talk, talk about some ethics. All right. Take a seat at the board with the Space Chess Roundtable here on the Vintage Pod. It is a silly place. I see your point, sir. All right, so we are officially here with either the most or the second most people we've ever been with, Steve. Yeah. Um, So let's go in non-alphabetical order. And just go through whatever name I have them written down. So we're going to be talking about ethics. And when you think of ethics in the hobby, uh, I think of a couple things. One, I think of Christian's uh, blog, uh, Vintage Star Wars Collectors. Although his name is Bobby or it's Christian or – Steve, what is his name? Do you know? His, his name is Christian, but he, he is known on the, on the interwebs as Bobby Bobs. Okay. That is almost as annoying yeah. as you, Steve. What, what is your name used to be? <laughs> <laughs> what is my? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, you used to have some <laughs> it's other like Jedi, Jedi Steve, or something lame like that. Okay. Yeah. And so when we were thinking about this, we thought of that, and then we thought of an article that was written by our first guest, Ross Barr, uh, who wrote an article on the subject. So, Ross, are you there? I am here. Yes, and you said you were going to be recording on the toilet. Are you? Uh, I thought about it, but it passed. Okay. Well, that's. that's <laughs> That happens sometimes, you know, with my kids, I always tell them at a certain point, hey, if it's number two, you can wait. Uh, I, it feels like you can't, but, but you always can. Um, well, I make no promises that I'll hold it in. Make no promises. Okay. So he's going to be sort of our, our expert in, uh, in, in the question of flipping. Uh, and then I think, Steve, we should stick with the other Ross. Okay. And I don't know. It's just fun to have too many people with the same name. We've had a couple times too many Chris's. Uh, but we're now going to talk to Ross Cuddy. Before I introduce him, like I said before, I'm just going to refer to him as, Hey, Ross Cuddy, bam, shabam. Uh, pretty much nonstop. How do you feel about that, Ross Cuddy? Um, yeah, I'm all right. You all right? Do you like the song, Black Betty? Yeah, the song, as sung by professional singers, yes, is good. Oh, are you implying I'm not a professional singer? Why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> awesome. So let me think about how many time zones we already have here. So, Ross, what, uh, Ross Barr, what time zone are you in? It is the Eastern Standard Time. Or okay. Day, Eastern Daylight Time. I don't know. One of the Eastern Times. Okay. I'm in that as well. And then, Ross Cuddy, what time zone are you in? You're in Canada, so yeah. Canada you know, time? I don't know what we are right now. We, I think, I think we're central. We don't observe daylight savings. Oh wow! And you're yeah. in, you're in somewhere in Saskatchewan. That's correct. Yeah. In Saskatoon. Yeah. Uh, just outside. Yeah, but pretty much. Okay. Yeah, actually, I was talking about. Why was I talking about Saskatoon recently? I don't know why. <laughs> Must have been a very boring conversation. <laughs> I think that might have, it might have been a reference to Saskatoon being boring, but I don't know. Um, I've never been there. I've actually uh, I've always wanted to. Someday, Ross, I want to take a trip all the way across the Trans Canada Highway. So I'll have to stop uh, right. stop your way. Now, Steve, that's not the end of our time zone jumping. 
because <laughs> this is not only an ethics episode, but it's also a Black Bespin Guard episode. And when one says Black Bespin Guard, one name comes to mind, and that is the name of Greg, who's all the way out in Singapore. How's it going, Greg? Yeah, I'm here in Singapore. I'm okay. Doing all right. Yeah, he's doing all right. And it's so we're recording at night here. It's the morning there. And uh, it's, it's, when, it's Wednesday morning, um, about uh, 10 minutes to 11. Okay, so it's the next day. Yep. We're, we're calling the yep. future. It's very exciting. The current future, yeah. And just because we had to call two Rosses, we also had to call two Singaporeans? <laughs> Is that what you call them, Steve? <laughs> Singapore ads? Yep, yep. Right. Singaporeans. Okay, Singaporeans. Uh, and, of course, when one says Singapore, one instantly thinks of Derek Uncle Gundy Ho, who is not here for any other reason other than he is tied into most of my stories about ethics. <laughs> so, <laughs> in a good way, Derek. How are you, Derek? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Well, good. Well, well Steve, this is uh, – I'm telling you, this is, this is a challenge as a ringleader here. You're doing all right. I'm doing all right. Doing all right, yeah. All right. So I sort of wanted to, you know, let's 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 think here. So I, I wanted to break in the ethics of of uh, of Star Wars collecting in a couple different categories. Um, one of them was the concept of promises, which I think is interesting. Steve, do you make promises to fellow collectors? Uh, not that I remember, but I have a terrible memory, so I'm really, I'm now all of a sudden really questioning, like, oh my god, have I ever told someone something and I've completely forgotten? But no, I mean, not, not in my experience too much. Okay, well, the, the first question I'm going to have for Derek is this. Derek, do you remember an auction in 2005 for a 20-back C Chewbacca? I, I vaguely, I vaguely remember it, but... To, to be honest, if, if you if you didn't raise it up, I, I I wouldn't remember it for the life of me. Okay, well, this has been like the telltale heart beating in underneath the floorboard for me because I have felt guilty about this for years. <laughs> so this is a kind of ethics. I don't know what it is, but it's the hey, are you going to bid on this? Okay, so at the point, Derek and I were both collecting Chewbacca, and I said I really want this twenty back C. So that's the Chewbacca the Fet offer with no sticker on it. And he said, fine, I won't bid on it. So I won it for a little under $150. And Derek just said, well, if you ever sell it, just sell it to me for that. And I said, okay, Derek, I will. And I, I haven't sold it to him yet, Steve. <laughs> but you remember the, the pact. <laughs> I remember the pact, but I, I upgraded it when I bought Kellerman's 20 back C. And so obviously oh, the okay. thing I should have done right at that moment was say, hey, Derek, here you go. Why didn't I do it? I didn't do it because I know it's worth a lot more, and I feel like, well, maybe Derek forgot, and he's got so many toys anyway. So, so this is my question. This is a general question. Let's ask this to, to, Ross, to Ross Barr. Would it have been ethical if I had sold that for $300 and not told Derek? Would it have been ethical? I mean, yes. you, you made a promise to a friend, right? It, I, I think a tough one you know I, I, if it was me i and i was ready to sell it i probably would have asked derek having remembered the the promise which you have 10 years after that <laughs> um which is which is pretty impressive in it itself yeah. with all your chewbacca items that you remember that one piece from 10 years ago but um it's like anything else you treat others how you want to be treated i i certainly would think that you'd want him to at least give you the heads up, some right of first refusal or otherwise. So, 
um, that would be the the Christian thing to do if you're Christian or whatever religion you are. I'm Jewish, so it doesn't matter to me. But, um, <laughs> Let's not but, get into religion, Ross. I've been getting all kinds of trouble on the internet talking religion. I'm not going to talk about religion. So, uh, okay. <laughs> let's keep those ethics out of it. Uh, okay. Okay. So then, so then Ross thinks uh, Ross Barr thinks I should definitely give him give him the heads up. What What do you think, Steve? I'd have to agree with Ross, and it just reminds me. I mean, not not the whole promise ten years later thing, but just the. Uh, I don't know. The, the, the we're going to bring it up. I'm sure the whole Chewy uh, EP thing with between you and I. Right. It just reminds well, me of that. Like, we, we'll, we'll bring that up later. But I'd say yeah, I, I agree with Ross. Okay, so then what should I do now? That's my question. So now I have I've upgraded it. I told Derek that I would sell it to him for that price. Do I just say? Hey, I'm going to do this and just ask him. I mean, how do I do this in the most? What do you think, Derek? What do you think I should do? You sold it already, right? No, no, no. I still have it. Uh, oh, you, you still have it? Then, then offer it to me. Uh, I guess the, the 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 most logical thing to to do would be to tell me that you know you probably could get like three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks for it, uh, but you would still, you know, like to respect the original promise and, and would still go through with it if I insisted. And I, I probably wouldn't insist and I'll probably, you know, tell you please go ahead and, and sell it for three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks. And, and and keep keep that. I mean keep the money because it's it's been so long. Uh and, and also <laughs> I think buyers and sellers move on from from their original, you know, intentions. But uh, like like Ross Barr said, it, it probably would be good just to sound me off. And like I said, I probably wouldn't hold you to it, considering the the current circumstances. So then you know everybody's happy. Well, all you, this you kind of uh, finish your your obligation to me. Okay. And, you know, no harm. <laughs> all this time, I've been feeling really bad about it, and I mean, I never sold it. I mean, I would have really that would have been. You know, but I just didn't know what to do with it. I knew the right thing to do was to instantly go to Derek once I upgraded. But this actually raises another question, and I'll ask this of Ross Cuddy. I bought that figure from somebody who I knew was kind of a scammer, was kind of sketchy. So what do you think about buying figures from somebody who you know is kind of sketchy? Do you think that's ethical? Do you think it's right to buy something that you think is legitimate from somebody who you know to be a scammer? Um, that's, that's a difficult question. I, I guess it depends on the, on the item and, and how much you want or need it, or even it's rarity or that and your, how strong you are in your own personal convictions. Um, <clears throat> because there have definitely been a lot of scammers in the hobbies over the years, and, and a lot of people have the sentiments, you know, regardless of what they have for sale or how much you might want what they have, uh, you just refuse to do business with them. I mean, really, that's the best way to deal with a scammer other than outing him is just to shut him down uh, completely. And most good scammers have legitimate items that they're selling or legitimate ways that they're selling to sort of mingle in their scams. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, that would have to go to, you know, your own personal conviction. Right. Well, at the time I didn't realize how much of a scammer he was. Um, so this was a 20 back C and the reason why I bought it, Derek, you can attest to this, right? It's really hard to mm -hmm. find 20 back C's. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I was really psyched to find a 20-back CD. The only other one I'd ever seen was in John Kellerman's book. And then I get it in the mail from this dubious seller from Sweden. Um, I won't even honor him with any kind of Swedish music sound drop because he's kind of a scammer. <laughs> and I look, at the, I look at the back and it's got residue on it. So clearly the sticker came off. So I instantly emailed him and he was like, oh, yes, I just found the sticker. Let me mail it to you. Please leave positive feedback. And he mailed me the sticker like a week later. So he was totally trying to put, pull one off on me. And I think I kind of got my karma. So uh, even if I did sell it back to Derek, it wasn't actually what we thought it was going to be. But do any, wow. of, you, do any of you have any funny stories about buying from someone you know is dishonest? I, I, I think there's a current uh, Facebook discussion about, you know, buying stuff uh, that you know is stolen and there's a big hoo-ha about the, the ethics of that. Uh, I think, I can't remember which Facebook group it was, but it was about the Kane County show. Hmm. I think ah. maybe Ross, Ross Barr probably knows the, the, the details on that. He's probably uh, the moderator okay. of the entire thing. Hey, Ross, do you own Facebook now? I'm just curious. No. Uh, no. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So, Ross, was that you? That, that was that on one of your forums? This came, I actually don't yeah. know this whole story. It was it was in the twelve Mac group about about Kane County. Um, this was I don't know if you want me to go too far into it. Oh yeah, that's what we do a, on the show. Listen, before you guys got on, I was talking about like racism. And uh, the fact that all the clones are gay. So just any, however far you want to go into actual Star Wars toys, we are totally open here. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, the King County last year, I was actually at the show, but I got there after all the stuff went down. So apparently the, the day before, Saturday is when all the, the good stuff goes down. All the dealers show up. The, the show is actually Sunday, but dealers were showing up Saturday to set up, and apparently that's when all the the good deals go. That's when Derek swoops in the day before and gets all the good <laughs> stuff at all the shows, right? Um, they, someone was setting up. They got there, and they came with, like, you know, normally at a show you'd set up with, a, you know, a couple tables, nothing nothing big, but these guys showed up with huge glass cases. It, maybe at a celebration you'd do that, but at a smaller show like this is just card tables. But a bunch of huge cases, glass cases, and just – Ooze eyes out of the woodwork, like 20, 30, 40 carded ooze eyes. Wow. Uh, some glass fleets, um, crazy rare tri-logos, a bunch of other carded figures, you know, maybe hundreds of carded figures, just all really, really, really rare stuff. Um, and people went nuts. There was a few people that showed up. I'm not going to name any names because some of these, these folks still have these items, but um, showing up, and some of the people must have known that this stuff was going to be there, but showing up with ten, twenty thousand, and just laying it all down and just swooping all this stuff up. So, you know, it was it caused an uproar. There was a huge thread on the time on uh, about on Rebel Scum about what was going on actually live as as this all was going down. So, this happened Saturday afternoon. Like I said, I showed up Sunday. After seeing everything on the thread, you know, everyone was excited. Everyone was talking about it. The, the folks I was with, we beelined directly to where that place was, and it was all gone. Everything was gone. Wow. The glass cases were there. Everything was still there. And there was, like, almost like police tape around the <laughs> scene. 
<laughs> right? Like this yellow tape that was blocking all the stuff off. So uh, Mark Huckabone was there, and uh, myself and a couple of people went and got the deal from him. Apparently, there was a, a gentleman named Lev. I don't know what Lev's last name is, but Lev, back in the day, like in the early 80s, early to mid-80s, some sometime like that, was apparently the guy that actually went on Camelback in Turkey to bring back all these Carter Dews eyes and bunch of other stuff that he sourced from various places, but the, the Camelback in, in Turkey story really, really resonated with me, but he, wow. he apparently brought it all back. Um, and sometime maybe the late eighties or so, his wife stole everything out of his storage locker. Um, he, he had it out in storage somewhere. His wife stole it. After that, she died. The, the wife's sister got all the stuff and, Apparently, sometime before Kane County enlisted some goons to try to move it. Now, they, you know, not being wary that all the stuff was stolen, didn't want to put it on eBay or somewhere online where it could be traced. Right. Thought, hmm. thought showing up at Kane County would be a good time to, to kind of move all that stuff all in one fell swoop. Now, was, so, this, was this his current wife or his ex-wife or his soon-to-be ex-wife or... Someone who's recently gone through a divorce, I'm like, because that may not be stealing if if it was purchased during their marriage. That's not even stealing. Now you're getting to the legality of, <laughs> of marital property. Um, well, I'm just making a point. Honest. That's not the same thing as like someone breaking into your house and robbing you. That's like yeah. you know buying a car with your wife and then selling the car and taking the money. It's not ethical, but it's not stealing. I'm sorry. Sure, I, I'm sure. still in trauma, everybody. Everyone ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, but I think I think they, you know, I don't know what the status of their marriage was. She was certainly disgruntled. It right. sounds like if she was to to steal all that stuff. Um, so you know, subsequently, I think the the gentleman left, made an insurance claim, and got some money. Which actually, I just learned about today in that thread that, that Derek referenced in the uh, the Facebook twelve back group. But um, that that. Frankly, that changes the dynamic a bit, right? Because if the guy got his money back, right? You know, is the stuff still stolen? Yeah. Does he still have title to it? It's um, a, a weird purgatory thing. Yeah, interesting. Wow. But, so, so you know, what's what's going to happen? So all this stuff was purchased, and did people make themselves known? Are these all people like I haven't been paying attention? So, like, do I know who all these people are? Who bought them all? Yeah, and I'm not. I shouldn't name names, but right. um, you know, certainly a dealer, a couple of dealers that you would know. Wow. So then that actually extends out the question because now, if you buy from the dealer who bought it from them, is it actually less of purchasing steal, uh, stolen stuff? I, I don't know, Derek. Would you buy something from a dealer who bought from someone who stole from their husband? I I I I wouldn't be able to, to to tell you what I would do. I mean, I may say something now, and when presented with the, with the item in front of me, you know, I may make a different decision. To be very honest, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it it would be right. Uh, I don't know how how far removed the item now is is from from the 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 past or, or you know the the unethical bit. Does it does it? diminish over time or as it goes through numerous hands that does the the ethical part get diluted but uh, like i said i i wouldn't know exactly 
how I would react if, if it was an item that I was after and it was put in front of me. Right. I, I may say that I, I wouldn't buy it, but I may buy it. I don't know. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty far out story. I think we should, I guess, we'll just follow it. We'll kind of see where it goes. Um, is it what's the sort of most recent update on on where things are with that uh, uh, Ross Bar? Hey, I you know I don't I don't think it's much more than kind of what I just said. That some of the some of the guys that bought a bunch of the stuff off, I think, quietly sold it on eBay. You know, hoping that no one would see, uh, or not maybe not hoping no one would see it. I think people knew. At least to one or two of the guys were that had it. Um, uh, you know, and the, the gentleman, I, I think his name was Joe that was retained by the sister is still sitting on the stuff and it's, it's there. Um, you know, it's certainly stuff that collectors would want. I mean, these are, these are highly sought after, incredibly rare collectibles, but, um, you know, from, from the legal standpoint, actually Tommy, Tommy Garvey weighed in a little bit on the legality issue, which I thought was interesting. It's not so much ethical, but, you know, the law sometimes doesn't form ethics and vice versa. Right. Um, sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you, hope, you hope it does. But, um, you know, the statute of limitations on charging someone for stealing stuff is a year to three years in most states. So, you know, the chain of title kind of passes, and the actual initial burglar or larson or whatever you want to call him or her um, can't be charged, but uh, Tommy raised the point that his law professor mentioned something that even with all that and the fact that you can't charge someone, um, someone that actually has good title to that could sue the owner that has it currently to get it back in the same way that folks in the Holocaust that um, that lost had possessions stolen from them, you know, 40, 50 years after the fact. We're still able to get that stuff back because right. they had a good title to it. Um, in that same way, you know, if this guy Lev wanted to pursue legal action against whomever uh, still has the stuff, he could legally get it back. Uh, he wouldn't be able to charge those people with a crime per se, but he, from a personal property perspective, um, he would, as long as he could prove title, he he would still have it. And and therefore, by the transit of property, Steve, if you buy one of these figures, you are a Nazi war criminal. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want to put that out there, okay? You may want the Uzai. Oh, look, it's the second photo uh, Chewbacca. I'm looking at you, Derek. Oh, it's the second photo Chewbacca. I'm looking at you, Sky. Hey, you know, but just, you know, hey, yeah, you know who else had one of those? Goering. Okay. So... <laughs> Um, so, so now we have like blood diamonds in the hobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. Oh, that's so cool though. Now, Russ. Now we could. I mean, Russ. I'm sorry. Do people call you Russ, Ross? Because Russ, Ross, Cuddy. Almost. You want to call it Russ? Do people ever call you Russ? Uh, no, never. Okay. You kind of have red hair, don't you? No. Okay. Good. This has been a this has been a good talk, Ross. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, calling them the blood diamond collection, that does sort of make you want to have one, you know? Uh, well, uh, as far as the promises, we kind of went on a little sidetrack there, but it, it was good. The other one is if you sell something to somebody, but then you say you tag onto that, but if you ever sell it, sell it to me first. And same thing with trades. Um, do you think that this ever ends well? I, I don't think it ever ends well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of an example I have of where I traded a 21-back 
Tuscan Raider proof for a 21 back Stormtrooper proof. Mm. And at the time, the person who had this, this Tuscan Raider run was going, oh, I need it so bad. I have a great run. I'm so, I love Tuscan Raider. Uh, uh, uh. And I'm all like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And I, it was not a good deal because the, the Stormtrooper is more common. But I did it. And I just said, but hey, listen, if you ever sell it, just let me know. I'll buy it from you. And, uh, and he's like, absolutely no, you know, and same thing with me, you know, he wanted the, he wanted the right of first refusal and then he just sold it. And I was like, Hey, what's the deal? I was like, yeah, I sold it. So <laughs> that's, that's where it ended. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, no. it just ended there. Like, yeah, I sold yeah. it. And then of course it ended up with Tim and I like Tim. So I'm not going to call my lawyer and call him a Nazi war criminal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was just kind of like, damn, because now it's just gone. I don't, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to get it again. But, but I mean, what, do do we think that uh, that that this is ethical? I, I, what do you, I, we haven't heard much from Greg. What do you what do you think, Greg? Do you think this is something that's that's okay because you know s- sometimes you don't honor it, or what do you think? Well, I think uh, well we are, we are each um, you know, as good as our word, right. and um, I, I've got a few of these uh, promises. I mean, I've, I've bought stuff from people, and they say uh, you got to sell me this back. I've also just uh, you know traded some stuff to people and said, oh, if you sell you or you you sell, you got to give it back to me. So I think we we have to. I I, I think from an ethics ethics point of view, you should you should honor your word, um, and 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 just just uh, maybe give give the, the the person a heads up if you if you decide to sell and just say, hey, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna move this on. Um, do you want it? Uh, as based on what we agreed on what we agreed on previously um, before, you know, before you move it on to someone else, let, let that person have the uh, first right of refusal. Um, I tried to actually also buy something up, um, from someone previously, and he said, oh, I've, I've, I've got this item that is, uh, um, I promised if I sell it, I have, to, I have to offer it back to a certain person, um, and, I, and I knew the other guy as well. <laughs> Right, so I say, hey, um, could we could we check with check in with 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 the person you're supposed to offer it back to if, if he would be okay if I took it? Um, but he he still wanted the items back, so I I just backed off. Right. Yeah. So I I think I think uh, well we should we should keep to our words. If if not, then don't make the promise. Right. I mean, do do any of yeah. you have any stories about pieces that you lost like that that you really wish you could get back, and they're now just in a black hole? Sky, I just I just want want to, to point out maybe a certain aspect of, about this uh, the, the Tuscan example. Yes. I'm not saying it's it's a, a position that I would hold, but I think uh, when you when you sold that Tusk, I mean when you traded uh, that Tuscan or you sold that Tuscan proof, it went into a, a run from my my understanding. Right. So the the person has made it as part of a run. So when he subsequently sold it, I think you know. It, he was selling it as a run, so right. to pull the, the the twenty-one out of the run, you know, takes away from the integrity of that run. So mm, it it makes it a little bit le- less straightforward. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have offered it back to you, but may, maybe he's seeing it from that perspective. And I I think there are other examples of of this kind of uh, promises being made and broken because the 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 pieces have have gone into a run. Right. And that's why, you know, the person sells it. He said, I, I'm not selling the proof on its own. So in a sense, I didn't really like, they, they, they see it as <laughs> an, a reason, you know, that I, I can back up from the, the promise, I guess. But I, 
not have an example of that because I don't pretty much sell much stuff. <laughs> right. Don't have to. <laughs> I don't understand the whole like trade thing. Like you write a first refusal and you do a trade. I mean, like how are you supposed to honor that? Like you have an item, whatever, a particular proof card, uh, and you can get another proof card and trade that you know fits your own run or something like that. And then, but you have for right somebody else has write a first refusal and the proof you want to trade away i mean how do you work that with a with a trade because if you don't have the car to do the trade then the trade is just going to go go away and there's the other person supposed to pay you with an equal item in trade that, that you know i i've never experienced i've never been in like write a first refusal with with trades involved um right but i but i have been involved in things where uh let's say i, I purchased an item from somebody for $250 and say, hey, if you ever sell it, you know, give me, let me know, you know, give me first right. And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. And then, you know, it might be five, six, seven years later and uh, I'm looking to sell. Now that $250 item is worth 2000 Right. So what do you sell it back to that person for? Do you sell it back for 250 or do you sell it for 2500 or do you sell it somewhere in the middle, you know? That uh, that sometimes, and I've heard you know of issues where that's come up, and uh, you know, been a bit of a stick in the mud as far as uh, right a first refusal thing goes. Yeah, may, maybe the best. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a, that that's a that that's a good point um, because um, prices have really gone up, have really gone up recently um, or lately. So so I think yeah, that that will have to be sort of ironed out um, with with the person you're supposed to give the first right of refusal to um, either at the point of the deal um, which which I actually did with with uh, another collector recently um, but if, if no price was was uh, agreed at the point of, 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 of the transaction then yeah I think that there would be a little bit of a uh, you know some some issue when you know where prices are concerned. When if you want to move it on, especially if the only reason why you're selling is because the price has gone up like five percent. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's exactly. right. Yeah. Well, well then I, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm frankly, I'm frankly impressed that you guys can remember this stuff. I, <laughs> I had someone who who liked who liked a piece of mine. Now, it wasn't it wasn't a trade. It was something that I showcased, and someone was very interested in it. I think it was the uh, Vader. Canadian utility belt, and someone had told me that he was really into it, and oh, can I sell it to him if I ever go to sell it? And maybe that was a year or so before I went to go sell it, and frankly, I went to sell it, and I, I forgot about that, you know. And I, I went to the guy subsequently and told him about it, and he was okay, and I felt terrible. But you know, it's not like we had uh, some strong agreement and signed a contract, and it's not about that. The ethics are more about friendship and stuff like that. I. I felt terrible, but honestly, I'd forgotten. I wasn't trying to be sneaky and um, go around the guy. But you know, at least me, I'm still. I'm, I haven't been around as long as most of you guys. Uh, still building my collection and doing lots of deals, keeping remembering that you did. You made a promise like that. Sometimes can be difficult, especially if you have a lot going on. Yeah, I, I'm starting to think, Steve. Maybe we should put forth this idea for for our hobby. Okay. Let's just say. No more right of first refusal. <laughs> I don't it think it might make things a lot easier for, hey, for people. Ross Barr, you can make T-shirts. <laughs> say like, n- like no. They'll R- say screw your friends over. They'll say screw yeah. Your friends over. Yeah, yeah, with a with a screw and like a friends. I don't know what, but like 
It's, I think that the problem is that the construct itself can't work because I was thinking how many times has it not worked for me, the writer first refusal, and it almost never works. And it, it seems that especially with the way prices fluctuate and with the way that it is where people offer you things, it just seems like it's a chance to have your feelings hurt. It feels like you can just say, hey, it would be nice, but I have no expectation of you doing it. And then it's up to you to email the person every five months to make sure they're not selling it or if they do. you know. <laughs> you know or, or in Derek's case, if you ever want anything from Derek, I suggest you email him every day uh, until he sells it to you. <laughs> Um, that's, that's just a, thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, well, I think yeah. part of it. I mean, these are not strictly just business transactions. These are no. social transactions. And, um, you know, when you get to a certain point in the hobby, uh, you know, particularly if it comes to pre-production stuff or higher end stuff and you're making runs and things like that, uh, you know, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have a network or the social connections, or the relationships with people, uh, you might not or miss out on some opportunities to get the items that you want for your collection. So if you're known as somebody who goes back on your promises and, you know, for something even as simple as, you know, not offering first or right of refusal or other parameters like that, uh, you're, you're basically not playing the social game very well. You're not involved in that level of the hobby. And I think most of us here agree, you know, a lot of the hobby now is, is not just so much collecting the stuff, but, you know, is, is the friendships that you make and, uh, you know, the social aspects of it. So on the other hand, too, I mean, if you make a mistake and you don't give somebody right of first refusal or you have something that's 500% increase in value since the time you bought it, uh, you know, chances are you can talk it out pretty easily with the person that you had because, you know, you, you know, you're likely good friends, or you know, and you can just work it out that way. Yeah, I was say that the you know Greg's situation was like the ideal case where you actually have like solid communication between all all parties and like reasonable communication, you know, and then you still admit you know it didn't work out in terms of getting that piece, but it's still I'd say it still worked itself out in a way that was right, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I, I think that talking it out is a big thing. Because if the person who had sold the Tuscan run had told me, "Hey, listen, this stinks. Um, I'm going to be on. Are you looking for something? And I'll look out for it. Even if they didn't do anything, but just something to say, like, "Hey, I sort of said I would do this, but I can't." You know what I mean? Like, there's right. something about right. just seeing it in someone else's limelight and being like, "Oh, damn it!" <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. you know, kind of like, yeah, but I, I think that, that, um, Hey, Ross Cuddy's point is, is really accurate. Um, that a lot of it ends up building into your reputation. And even if you aren't a scammer, we all sort of know the people who do these kinds of sort of chippy things, kind of like chippy, like backhandedness or, uh, we'll kind of get into the flipping stuff later, but just kind of like you sort of know it. And it's not that they're your enemy. You'd still sit down with them. But I don't know. You sort of know that they – you don't fully trust them. Like they're not a scammer, but you don't fully trust them. And uh, I don't know. I I often think of it as like – often with some of those folks too, the, what I call the green haze. Um, Steve, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, that one. That one's uh, beyond me. <laughs> okay, you know how sometimes when money comes up, people completely change. 
<laughs> you know, like some people, like like you can feel their blood pressure getting higher, their heartbeat is increasing, they start like getting shifty with their eyes, and it's like they sort of become overcome with a green haze of like money, like they're, they're like sharks in a frenzy, but just with money. And some people can do that and stay ethical, but some people do that and they just become shady. I, I don't know. Do, what, what do you think? Do you like that term, uh, green haze, everybody? Um, yeah, it works for me. It works for me. <laughs> well, of course, Ross Cuddy's not going to like you because he doesn't like the way I sing his theme song. So, <laughs> oh, Nothing's going well with me and Russ right now. I don't know. Yeah, what no, I understand. <laughs> I know what you're saying. It reminds me of Green Harvest. Oh, he yeah, does, yeah. Yeah, that, that was the connotation. <laughs> okay, well, we're not, <laughs> not going to go to that, that kind no. of... Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. So, so why don't we actually? Um, I'm trying to think if we should go. Steve, you have to make the choice: flipping or cutting. What are we going to talk about? Uh, why don't we let's let's switch it up and go with the cutting thing because that'll bring us back into the the figure of the month, right? Yes, it will. So, this is the whole reason why I wanted to do the ethics show. Is actually, I believe, the same person who I sold the who I traded the 21 back proof at one point had uncut proof sheets. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I believe most of the uncut proof sheets in the world still reside with one Derek Ho. Is that correct, Derek? You have a few uncut proof sheets? I have a few, but, but yeah, not, not, not all of it. Right. Not, not all I, of them. I think it's, it's, yeah, I think it's spread out. There's, there's a couple of guys, quite a few guys have, have, have sheets still. Right. But this is one of, I think, the grayest of all gray areas. Um, is what is our responsibility and are there times where it's actually good to cut a sheet? So some proof cards were just printed individually and then some were printed on sheets of, what, 4, 8, and 16? How many different kinds? Do you know, Derek, how big the sheets got? Uh, I think up to 16. There were a couple of, I think, uh, 8 sheets, maybe 8 sheets as well. There were, there were a lot of... ESB uh, 45H. I think that was eight sheets, right? Right. Eight sheets, yeah. Eight sheets. Yeah. Eight sheets. So what happened was about six years ago, um, someone offered me a 45 back Chewbacca proof from the cut sheet. But I didn't like the idea that he was cutting up the sheet. Like I didn't ask him. I didn't want him to do it. But he was going to do it anyway. So first thing is, was it unethical of me to buy it when I don't believe in cutting sheets? What's your vote on that? Uh, I don't know. Who, who wants to talk? I guess I'll go with uh, Steve. What do you think? I, well, see, that's funny. I, I didn't remember that circumstance with that proof having, you know, being cut and you having a, a choice of, of keeping that thing there. I thought it was just being sold as is. So I don't know. I mean, I, when you, you kind of list some different scenarios here, and so I, I kind of just wrote, or, you know, thought, what, how would I respond? And I'd say, you know, for something like a focus collector, it's circumstantial. Um, I mean, so that was a 45 bag, and that was the only way you were going to be able to get that particular uh, card. Was that the case? Well, I mean, there's tons of 45 back proofs, well, I mean, but, but yeah, that particular but, one with color bars. Right. right so I okay. was conflicted about whether or not to buy it. So the way that I assuaged my guilt was I just mm-hmm. said, any proof that is attached to Chewbacca uh, that isn't okay. that isn't already purchased, I will buy. Yeah. So okay. if, if he had four things attached to it, I would have bought four. Mm-hmm. But it happened to be that the only one he had attached to it was, much to Greg's dismay, the Black Bespin Guard. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it has a strange X on it. I don't know why it has an X on the figure space. I can't quite figure that out. But that's what I ended up getting, and I had Oscar make me a double case for it, and I love it. It's one of it's one of the more interesting pieces in my collection because it's essentially a two pack of a cut sheet. Yeah. But then it raises all these questions because I've gotten tons of questions because as it happens to be, uh, Greg. So you you are a, uh, a black bestman guard focus collector, yes? Uh, yes, I am. Yes. So how many Empire Strikes Back proofs? of any kind are there for the Black Bestman Guard? Oh, <laughs> that, 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 that's, uh, I'm not too sure about that myself. Right, there's um, very few. Uh, there are very many, few, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not many. Um, I think the, the 45 back was, was, was not that easy to come by. Um, that's why I actually, uh, you know, approached you at that time yeah. when, when, when I heard that you had a Bespin guard attached to your Chewy. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's not that easy to come by the, the 45 bags. Uh, some, some, some characters are more common than, than the others. Um, but yeah, this, although th- this is a pretty lame character, uh, <laughs> right. he's not that easy to come by. Right. Now, do you now have a 45 back proof of the Black Bespin Guard? Uh, I do, I do, I do. Oh, I have good. those, uh, I think the production, the production-like ones uh, okay. the, with the rounded corners. Yeah, I, I believe I do. Okay, well, that's good because I, it, it really bothered me because at the time when you asked, you didn't have right. one. No, I didn't have, I didn't have. And I was a focus collector and so I really sympathized with you. But I really liked it, and I was trying to, and I knew I wouldn't do it for money. And I figured you were friends with Derek, so you're used to people who won't do anything for money. So I knew you'd be okay. <laughs> so at one point, we tried to work out a trade, and it was all this stuff. And and then, actually, a very well-known, disreputable collector from California um, kept asking me to to buy it from me. Um, I'm sure he was right. actually just talking to you and trying to sell it to you for twice as much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> possible, possible. Uh, we'll talk about off the air uh, what the person's name is. Uh, we've never mentioned him on the show. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, and I was trying to think, like, would it have been ethical if I had cut the – what do you think, Derek? Would it have been ethical if I had cut off the, uh, the Black Bestman Guard and traded it to your friend? Uh, okay. Uh, with, with regards to cutting a, sh- a sheet up, right? Uh, yes. I, I have to confess, I've been guilty of of, of being part of uh, <gasps> part of that. Everybody, judge Derek. Oh. Mm. <laughs> 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 but uh, you, hold on, you I, actually I, did the cutting? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My heroes are all dead. Oh. <laughs> It's, I have I have I have cut a sheet before. Okay, so uh, the perspective of, of why the sheet was was cut was I think largely because I got to know about the sheets not directly the availability of the sheets. I got to know. I mean, in the in the two instances, I got to know about the sheets being available through other collectors. That means not not on my own. And the collectors come to me uh, because they can't purchase the sheet on their own. So the idea was to uh, purchase the sheet together and then split the sheet up because 
the count I mean the other party who has the contact had a specific one or two characters that they needed from the sheet. Ah. But they figured that I would have the cash to buy the sheet. And for me, if that collectors or those collectors did not approach me in the first place, I wouldn't have access to the full sheet or even a single character on the sheet. So that was the background. I see. Wow. I guess that's usually the reason why sheets get cut up because the original contacts do not have the capability to finance, you know, the whole sheet or or have the I think yeah, the ability to keep the sheets for 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 what they are. Right, but yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's another gray. I mean, you have one that has the emperor on it, right? One that has like emperor and maybe wicked on it or something. I remember one Not was me. no. I remember one was up Not for sale, me. and I almost bought it. And I was like, if I buy it, I can cut it up, keep the emperor, and, and make money. But I I didn't do it because I thought you know it would be wrong. But now that I know that Derek did it, maybe it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let and, me try. And, let, yeah. let me. Yeah. Uh, go go for it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Derek. Derek, Derek first. Uh, okay. The the other the other the other perspective I think uh, with regards to proof, right? Uh, although I'm sure there are people who are strongly uh, disagree with with my comments, perhaps. But my uh, contention, I I do not approve of you know like items like mockups uh, being torn up uh, because. Sky here. Uh, quick precision for those of our listeners who don't know. Uh, a mock-up is anything that is made sort of by the toy company itself, in this case, Kenner, where uh, they will take two elements and put them together for display purposes or to show off the product. So an example is they'll take a first shot, an early prototype of the figure, and sort of hand glue that onto a card back or a proof card. And in the last... Ten years, people have more and more been separating those kinds of mock-ups into two elements to sell them separately. Because you can sell a first shot and a proof card for more money than you can sell a proof card with a first shot glued onto it. So that's what Derek is referring to. I'm actually going to be doing this more, defining terms, because I realize the more we record this, the more listeners we have who don't know all the terms. So let's get back to Derek talking about his objection to mock-ups. You lose the integrity of what the, 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 the item was. You know, if you take out a hard copy or first shot from a mock-up, it's no longer a mock-up. The whole reason, you know, it's, it has a value is because it's a mock-up. Whereas in a case of a proof sheet, maybe this is just justification or, or, or justification on my part. The, the proof sheet still remains, you know, it, it still remains and has the role that it plays. It proves, you know, it proves the cutback. It, it, it serves the proofing purpose still. Right. Whether it's a 16 sheet or whether it's an 8 sheet or whether it's a 4 sheet. Huh, okay. So yeah, it's, I, I, I don't yeah. know whether, whether you, you get huh. my point. No, no, I, I, I hear you. And then there's the other problem that just displaying an 8 sheet is not easy. Yeah. That's true. Yep. Um, but then there's always a problem of once it's cut, it's lost. Yeah, yeah. it loses its intrinsic value forever. It, you know, it's a one of, right? So it's like the needs of the so, many outweighing the needs of the one. Yeah. So, 
for 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 my perspective right now today is is if I can afford it, I I will never cut a sheet. So that's why I mean I still have all the the other sheets uh, with me, and and I don't think they'll be going anywhere or they'll be cut up. I mean, the 16 sheet I have, I I I probably bought for I think four thousand dollars or less. And if I were to yeah. cut that up, I I could easily get you know sixteen thousand dollars or more for it. But wow. that's not the the motivation. I I like it for the fact that it is a sixteen sheet. You have a sixteen sheet? Oh man! Yeah, that's wow. a that's a lot of sheet, man. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how are you doing, Ross Barr? Are you okay there? Okay, um. I'm doing good. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just playing over in my head what it would be like for me to try to cut one of those sheets. I would totally screw it up. What you do? What, you do it on like one of those old uh, paper cutters with like the long, uh, the long blade. You kind of slam down like a paper cutter. Like, how does that even? How does that work? I would. T- I would totally screw it up. I wouldn't trust myself. How, how did you do? Oh, oh, did you do it at your chemical weapons factory, uh, Derek? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I didn't do it myself. I, I got somebody else to do it. Yeah, that's. I mean, uh, well, well, yeah. That that's where I wanted to to, to, to jump in. Uh, I'm going to be brave. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to admit that I'm going to confess. I I was I was Derek's partner in crime. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Okay, so Singaporean. I, I, I'll give I'll give the, I'll give the full story. I'll let everybody uh, have a, a little little piece of history. Uh, not a, not a good history, but we'll, hey. we'll put things in perspective a little later on. Yes, let's hear. Uh, it. Well, I, I I had a I had a link to I had the uh, I had a lowdown on on these sheets from from uh, also a sketchy a sketchy uh, seller. Um, I, I tried my luck um, I, to to get the sheets, but um, well, I was I, I didn't have that I didn't have that much cash. Or I couldn't hold the sheets as a sheet at that point in time. Um, but I wanted a few of the a uh, few of the characters for my focus. So I, I approached Derek because um, he also had some stuff he could he could use from the sheets, and I said, you know, is it could we like uh, buy the sheets, uh, take what we wanted, and 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 get rid of the rest? So uh, <laughs> he he said it, it, it was doable, um, and he was he was in on the deal. So uh, I, I I closed the deal with the seller and and and. Um, we took we took everything back to Singapore. Uh, I I I'm the one who actually cut up the sheet. Oh um, my gosh! At my <laughs> my at my um, wife's uh, workplace because she's she's working in printing. So she has, ah. as Ross Barr was asking, she had one of those really uh, big. Uh, I don't know what what do you what do you call it, but it, it's it's for you know for cutting cutting up stuff that's printed out. So. It makes really nice, nice, clean cuts. That's why um, all all the when we cut up the sheet was really nicely done. Uh, and the, the people who, who who bought who bought the stuff we sold also were I mean they were they were pretty happy about it. Um, but back then, um, well, I, I was after the Luke Farm Boy on one of the sheets. Uh-huh. Um, Right, so I, I, but on top of that, Luke Farm Boy was, uh, was, uh, was the R5D4, mm. which, with, of course, as you all know, Luke was on it. So I felt, I felt a bit, uh, you know, I, I felt a bit 
well, I'm not guilty, but I felt that it was a bit. I wanted to preserve something, you know, that 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 um, I would that I had cut up. I said, you know, I should should some something of the of the sheet should be left intact. So so I, I kept I kept when I cut that up, I didn't sell the R5. I said, oh, I'll keep it. Um, it, it, it worked out nicely because it's still it's a Luke scene anyway. Um, so but you, I, I thought I'd keep it for the um, sort of like a, a remembrance of the sheet. Now, is it is it connected to the Luke? Uh, it's connected to the Luke, exactly like your your Chewie and the the Black Bespin God. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, yeah. have have you put so, pictures of that up anywhere, or would you share pictures of that? I, I did. I did post it up on on Facebook on uh, I think a couple of months back. Uh, yeah, I, I don't look on Facebook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, 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 right. I did, I did, I did. Uh, ex- exactly like your Chewy. Right. Uh, well, but to continue the story, I, I eventually picked up some uh, ROTJ. Uh, I had some ex- access to ROTJ sheets. Uh, I think it was an eight, I think an eight sheet or six sheet. Um, but I bought that um, purposely not to cut it up, but to keep it. I said, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of... Uh, cut up the 45s, um, but I think I, I shouldn't be doing that anymore. I should keep, I, I'm buying this um, specifically to have it kept as a sheet. Um, I kept it for a while. Um, I think at Ce- Celebration Europe 2, someone, a collect- collector approached me for it. Um, I was trying to raise cash at that time, so I said, okay, I'll sell it to you, but and we're talking about ethics, a bit of ethics there. I said, of course, if you sell it, if you're going to sell it, sell it back to me. Um, right. And of course, you can't, uh, one of the, one of my provisos were that he can't cut up. He has to buy it and keep it as a sheet. Um. He can never cut it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think we're talking about, you know, it's sacrilegious to cut, cut up sheets um, given uh, at this point in time. We, 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 we talk about it. We, we find it's wrong. Um, but I think back then, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I, I felt that the, the feelings were not, not really that there or were, were not that strong for things to be kept as sheets. Um, you know, proofs were proofs. Uh, you know, individual proofs were, were, were as good as whether you have it as on a sheet or, or, or at, even if you cut it up, that, that there was no there was no issue. But I think now because things are getting more expensive, uh, harder to come by, and I think there's a little, little bit more awareness. That's why the perspective has has changed, kind of changed. Um, I mean that that's my I, uh, I, humble view. Yeah, and also just just to put things into perspective, uh, we we were doing that at a time when Tom, I mean Tom Nyheisel was. Uh, the only source of, of proofs at that point of time, proofs and chromalins. And I mean, we were buying uh, proofs and, and chromalins from Tom, which he was cutting up, you know, upon our purchase. Right. So it was mm-hmm. it was a very, I, I would say a, a very, it, it wasn't as frowned upon or, or even frowned upon then. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was taken as pretty normal, I, I, I should think, I should say so. Right, it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like uh, killing whales, you know. It's totally fine, and then and then you look around and you're like, oh my god, there are not a lot of whales, you guys. We have got to stop killing whales. Well, um, you know, I'm interested. Why, why do you, Greg? Why do you think there's a shift now? Why do you think that there's some 
the people are, are more reluctant to do that now than they were, call it 10 years ago, whenever. Well, I, I, like I said, I think things are more expensive, and I think also people are, are more aware and, and they're more prepared to sort of like uh, preserve stuff uh for the for the hobby rather than just just um just just consume and and, and collect without thinking i i, I think there's, there's just it's awareness i i think that's my that's my opinion yeah it's it's yeah. the maturation of the hobby and the people in it going from like as greg said you know a, a consumption sort of attitude and uh, i mean nobody was going to challenge Nyheisel, you know, back then saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. He'd be like, okay, you're never going to buy anything from me ever again. Thanks. Yeah. And, um, and people had just moved from consumption to <clears throat> conservation, really, and they understand the finality of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. kind of as you understand the finality of your own life, there's some good existential stuff for Sky to <laughs> possibly yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I guess people are a bit more mature. I mean, the, the, the old timers are, uh, you know, more mature, and and, and people you know, sit down. Maybe we're older. We think about stuff, and I don't know. Well, you know, it's it's also kind of tied in. And then it's also like, well, it's your stuff, and what do you want to do? I mean, um, I've talked about it on the show before, but you know, I have a a, a box flat of an Empire Strikes Back Chewbacca, and I have it displayed in an Oscar case. Uh, and it's fine, but I've looked at it and been like, "Gee, it'd be kind of nice actually if I folded it up and so it was in the same shape as my other 12-inch Chewbacca's." And I wouldn't like put a figure in there or anything, but it would just look nicer. And I don't do it. I don't know why I don't do it. I'm going to die with a stupid thing. I'm never going to sell it. It's, it's just for me. I could put my own. I could make a action figure myself and stick it in there. But I I don't do it out of this weird sense of. You know, preservation. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I'd probably really actually prefer to have it folded up, I think it would look look cooler than it does with all the all flat flattened out. Am I a monster, Steve? <laughs> you're not a monster. No, you're. You're. I think if it was me, I'd have the same struggle. Um, I mean, I, I feel like the same way. Like for for framing things or whatever. You know, a lot of times it'll have like a piece of artwork or a you know mock up or something will have a lot of details that if you tried to frame something or whatever it would completely take away that context so like i met the one time like the one piece that i have like this the the b-wing art i the guy was insistent about removing the original flap and and all this stuff I'm like no do not like just whatever you do don't <laughs> destroy anything intrinsic to this thing however you can frame it so that if i took the frame off i could put it exactly as i got it like and that's just that's something that's i've always had and Obviously, like in my line of work, that's like something that drives me nuts. <laughs> so, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. There was a, a person a while back. I don't know if it's been discussed before on the Kaivcast or not. I think it might have. Where took revenge box flats and basically constructed them and sold sold them as sort of completed, you know, vehicles in box in revenge box. But mm-hmm. which, of course, they were never released in that way but you know folded up you know just basically took the box flats and folded them up that way and sold them yeah we i think we mentioned it and yeah. it, it was a, it was actually maybe even a debate d8 or it was a discussion about that because i think they didn't sell them they weren't trying to fool anybody i think i think they were saying that they were folded up yeah and it was i think the issue was it's just you know i guess 
the ethics, you know, of taking something that unproduced like that and, you know, folding it up. You know, there's a lot of people that would prefer to purchase it in its, you know, unfolded state or feel that its natural state is uh, is unfolded. Uh, sounds like biochemistry and protein configurations <laughs> and stuff. But, um, oh, wait, I just figured out, Ross, uh, Ross Barr, why you were asking that question. Because you wanted us to talk about you grading. I get it. Because you want us to all say that because we all know how bad you grading is, and that's destroying the hobby, that anything that is destroying something from its original state uh, that goes against preservation, we now are like, we think it's horrible. Was that what you were trying to go for, yeah. Ross Barr? I, well, I wasn't necessarily going. Were you trying that to sell way? more t shirts, sure. Ross Barr? Was that it? <laughs> well, look, I think, I think folding a box plant is a little less harmful because you know if you wanted to you could eventually unfold it and then put it back it might be a little crease a little more creased up but um you know you cut a sheet that sheet's gone you get a figure that that carded figure is gone um so yeah there's that yeah there's that I, yeah, I don't know. I, I probably won't do that it seems likely that at some point in my life I will probably end up I don't know. I can't tell if I'll ever end up cutting off that the Black Bespin guard. I do like it because Bespin is where C-3PO said he's only a Wookiee, which is secretly the most racist line in all of Star Wars. And then having the Black Bespin guard there. The so cool wait, is, it, is it ethical to call him or Black Bespin guard? Isn't he like, <laughs> isn't he like Afro-Bespinian? Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It, yeah. The, the, that's the whole other question is I you know is that uh yeah I I that's he's just the bespin guard who just happens to be a different color. Yeah, um, but the the nice thing speaking of color that happened for me is that to make my decision even more complicated when they cut speaking of nightmares when they cut the 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 sheet up they actually cut it wrong so that I have color bars on both sides of Chewbacca. So that even if I cut it and sell the Black Bespin Guard, I'll still have a unique proof because it'll have both color bars on either side of it. <laughs> because someone out there has like, I don't know, uh, some other figure completely missing the color bar. But talk about a, a bad cut. Oh, jeez. Well, you, 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 you can cut the one color bar off and just sell the color bar. Yeah, that's true. I could probably get my money back these days. <laughs> these days, yeah, market. exactly. There's got to be a market for collar bars out there. There is now. Uh, <laughs> the ethic of creating a market. Um, awesome. Well, I, I, I guess that, that probably bring. I think we're pretty much at a stalemate on that. It seems that, that's, that cutting a sheet is wrong, and we know that, but that it's not so wrong that we wouldn't all probably do it. If, you know, if the right situation, it's, it's like, a, it's a question of degrees. Um, you know, like Steve, if I got a, an, a, an, a car, uh, if there was some kind of B-wing pilot that you didn't have and I had the sheet, I would probably cut it up just to sell to you. Although you <laughs> probably wouldn't want it cause you're so ethical, right, Steve? <laughs> See, that's the thing. It'd be, it'd be funny if you had done that and told me like right before and just, <laughs> just like laid it on me like, Oh. It's on the board. What am yeah. I going to do? <laughs> you want me to yeah. kill this puppy, Steve? Yeah. I'll kill this puppy. <laughs> exactly. I'll go all Bruce White on this puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
sky again. And maybe I'm over-explaining here, but we're going to talk about flipping. And what flipping means is buying low and selling high, obviously. But because so many purchases are made between friends or acquaintances or people who know each other uh, in the Star Wars vintage hobby, um, it can become an ethical question about how and when and how much to profit off of flipping. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I guess brings us to the the question of flipping. Which I think we need to figure out some way of having this not last for absolute ever. I, what I was <laughs> thinking about doing it was having it go in degrees. Okay. So I was thinking of talking about flipping from friends, flipping from room sales, flipping from Ribble Scum. I call it Ribble Scum now. Facebook. <laughs> And then uh, just sort of, uh, so sort of like in what I think to be orders of degrees. So, what about flipping from friends? Like, let's say, for example, Ross Barr, because you wrote the article on this, that a friend of yours sold you a uh, engineering pilot of a first twelve character for under two hundred dollars. Um, imagine <laughs> that you sold that for what do you think is the going rate for an engineering pilot for Chewbacca right now? Do you think, Ross? Uh... Probably, I'd, I'd say easily you get thousand bucks to fifteen hundred to the right person. Okay. So if I sold that for fifteen hundred bucks, would that be ethical? <laughs> well, I mean, again, it, it, it would depend, right? If if you're if you're a friend that a right of first refusal that you guys agreed on, and you went out <laughs> and and sold it without without telling them, that would certainly be unethical no no but um, let's just pretend that he sold it to you at a low price because he knew you would never ever ever sell it right right yeah i, I mean I, I think it depends on the circumstance right if you needed the money absolutely then no i don't think it would necessarily be unethical but I, you know i think if you did not tell the person before you did it it would be unethical but you know market values change i don't know how long ago you got that if it was several years ago or recently or what have you i think that ways into the consideration as well. Um, but but know, if, it, if it was is, priced really low to be nice to me. Okay. And it was, call it relatively recent, and you just, you know, flipped it and got a lot, a lot of money. I think it would be borderline unethical. Yeah. E- even if it was for Rick Springfield's childhood 12-back? <laughs> Steve, I got news for you. Um. <laughs> oh, man. But again, I, I think... I think I think it weighs in. You know, <laughs> disclosure is key. Disclosure is key on that, right? If, if you got your friend to say that was okay, then everything's cool. If you went out behind his back and put it on eBay or sold it somewhere else or you know sold it secretly and he didn't know, I, I think that's kind of a shitty move. Right. Um, get, but try try and keep it PG there while you're on the toilet. Pardon me. Pardon oh, me. No, no problem. Uh, I know. I mean. I think we've had how many swears have we ever let on the air, Steve? Uh, if any of them, they've probably been from me. Yeah, <laughs> they could have been. I mean, we we make a lot of references to Ned Nub's mouth, um, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, well, Steve, don't worry. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't done that. But but I often, in my sort of early days, you know, I really am not much of a of a shark when it comes to flipping things. So I, I used to think it was unethical to sell at a profit to my friends. I used to think that if I was selling something to my friends, even if I bought it off of eBay, it was wrong for me to make a profit off of it. So that's why I sold a 12-back Harbert Chewbacca that I bought for 250 bucks 
for 250 bucks to a friend of mine because I thought, well, it would be unethical for me to make a profit off of that. Um, but that's just me being a what's a what's a what's a cool Canadian way of calling someone a dumbass, uh, Ross Cuddy. Hoser. Yes, that was me being a hoser. Yes, a complete <laughs> hose hound. <laughs> was that? Yeah. Um, but okay, so then, so that that kind of. Uh, do you guys have any sort of experience with that of where you bought something at a really sweet price because someone tried to, and then you were trying to figure out if you could, uh, you know, when you sold it with a, a pang of guilt? Um. Yeah, a bit. I mean, I've been selling off a fair bit of stuff in the last year or so to fund some other more important purchases, and usually whenever I buy something, I. I I never have the intention of selling it off, and I, for years and years and years and years, I never sold anything out of my collection. Um, so, but I never, I don't think I've sold off anything recently that I said as when I first purchased it, like, hey, don't worry, I'm never going to sell this. This is going to my personal connection. Um, but I still, I think, closest I had was you know something that I'd bought in like a year prior, and I turned around and I sold it for probably about two and a half times what I had purchased it for. So, yeah, there's a a bit of concern that I had. I thought that the person I had bought it from might see that in a negative way. But, uh, but again, I mean, there was no telling that the market was going to explode as much in that time. But um, most of my stuff that I've sold, I, I mean, I've, I've, I could have sold for a lot more, and I'm just, you know, happy at the prices that I've, that I've gotten. So... Yeah, I think we we all the way the the market has gone. I don't think it's made us all question what what's up and what's down and what things are yeah. really worth. Yeah. Well, it's kind of one of my favorite phrases is uh, um, "Star Wars collecting tomorrow's prices today," <laughs> because the market is just you know, especially for pre-production stuff. I mean, you just like some of the pre-production stuff that I've sold recently. Just you know, that stuff could easily be turned and flipped. You know, two three months later for you know significant per- percentage more, and it's, it's it's even hard to put a price on things for that. Like because you don't have a good market reference. Uh, you know, especially when a lot of things are done now, like the higher end items and pre-production items. A lot of stuff is done uh, a little bit more behind the scenes in its trade. I mean, you're, you're involved in a hobby; it's all like trade, trade, trade. You know, what do you got to trade? What do you got to trade? Uh, so. Uh, yeah, as far as putting like a you know an actual dollar figure and things, it's 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 just tough. Yeah, I, I, today I was looking on eBay and I saw a twelve back Luke proof uh, being sold for twenty grand, and uh, I mean I was to buy it now, and I remember thinking that's actually probably not a bad deal. I I bet yeah. I bet you could sell it for that in three years. I, I bet I bet you could even sell it for more. But anyway, um, that's weird um so let's move on to room sales because for some reason nothing gets me angrier than seeing someone flip something at room sales uh what's your thought about this derek room sales you mean buying at room sales and then selling it at room sales Within the same window? Yes. Simultaneously? (laughs) Yeah, we saw that, and we see that at every celebration, don't we? Have we seen someone take someone from one, like, little bit of four and then move it across the way? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that, that should be really, really frowned upon. I I, I wouldn't have the balls to do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
But then there's a question, and this is sort of a, <laughs> a more general question. What is the statute of limitations on buying something? Because it's a weird thing, the room sales, because you have to sell it for a little bit less because that's the only thing that makes it fun, right? So, like, you sell it for a little mm -hmm. bit less, but then you know there's people out there who are just trying to seize that. Like, what is the amount of time you have to let pass before you sell that item? Or am I just overthinking this, Steve? Well, you, you do uh, tend to think a, a lot yeah. about these things, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, it's. I, th I think I have a picture somewhere. Pick something up in one end of the room and walk it to the other. Oh, <laughs> what was that, Ross? Sorry. I was just—I think I have a picture somewhere, you know, of of a room sale where uh, down the hallway or whatever, and like at, at early part of the night, this particular item was on the right-hand side by seller A and then a picture from later in the night the same item is on the left side <laughs> of the hallway from like seller B so I'll have to look and try to find that but uh, oh man I don't, I, I don't know yeah I mean that's kind of I mean you're kind of if you do something like that and that open um, I think again you're sort of missing out on the whole social game of it and I mean the room sales really are, are are a big social event, and like Sky said, you know, you look, you can get things for a bargain and things that aren't generally put out to the general public, and you know, just the people who come to the room sales and that. So, I think it's also important to remember that room sales and the collecting and the hobby has been inundated with a lot more people, a lot newer people, and you know, they might not necessarily be bad people or have done unethical things or they just haven't matured enough yet in the hobby to fully understand what it is they're doing or how they're doing it and, and what it is that the hobby means to them. So you get these, I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse flippers, but I think there's some people who just kind of, they really kind of get, you know, caught up in things sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I think... It, it makes sense. I do think a lot of it is, is sort of not knowing. And also, I don't know. I I still haven't bought a ton of stuff. Is is there a discount on these Facebook groups? Like uh like if you're in a if you're in the twelve back group, Ross Bar, do people usually yeah. sell twelve backs for less than you can get on eBay because they're part of a group and there's a community? Or is it usually just the market rate? I think I think it kinda of runs a gamut. You know, there's there's both. I mean, there, there's guys out there that are doing the same thing as, as people did in Rebel Scum and still do that are, are, are grading stuff, you know, buying stuff cheap, grading it and selling it at obscene values um, because there's a ready, willing, and able market there. But there's also people that, that recognize that you have a place with a very captive audience that loves this stuff and um, it's right there and you don't have to pay eBay fees. So they'll look at whatever the, the relevant market rate is on eBay, knock off the fees and try to try to move things that way. Um, it's really hard to generalize. There's just so many people and so many sales going on. It's, you know, I, I've certainly seen things that shock me at crazy high values um, because there's people that don't know anything other than that group and there's a lot of high-end high things that move. And people are used to seeing high-value high sales. Um, so, you know, no, I would say generally no, it's not all cheaper there. Right. Um, but you can, cert you can certainly find deals like anywhere else. Right. But it's – I mean I always kind of got the sense – maybe I'm just looking at rose – you know, rose-tinted whatever. I have a happier memory of the way it is than the way it was. 
Steve, I have lost my mind. Um, <laughs> but I, I always, it, I, it in. I always right. remember that in general on Rebel Scum, it felt that things were usually sold a little bit under market value just because there was a kind of sense of community. I, I don't know. Do I, does that sound right to you, Derek? Do you remember that? I, I think there was a time that it was like that. I, I think, yeah, perhaps your memory is not wrong. That right. There was a time. But uh, I think uh, in, increasingly, especially with, with how prices you know, skyrocket on, 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 on the stuff these days, everyone starts, you know, worrying that, oh, I, 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 I changed myself much more than I, I imagined. You know, you, you think you're cutting someone and uh, doing somebody a favor, doing the community a favor, but then you realize how much more you could have gotten it. Then, you know, that kind of uh, atmosphere maybe disappears because right. everyone is a little bit uncertain what, what is fair value or what is the real market value. Uh, you yeah. know, like Ross says, uh, tomorrow's uh, prices today. <laughs> right. So it's, <laughs> it's not so easy anymore. And then especially when people, the first time when you sell something at a good price to somebody you like, that they flip it. It's like, oh yeah, you just oh, want to go out and you're just like, God, that's what I'm, I, I could have made that price. I wasn't selling it to you for you to make a profit. Oh, yep. that's yep. that green haze. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that that term's taking off, um, but uh, so I mean, um, what else sort of from your article about this Ross uh, bar would you want to sort of share as far as the ethics of flipping? I think you hit on some of the some of the stuff. Um, you know, you don't if you're going to flip something, right? You should you should source it at a below market value. Um, and then try to sell at reasonable market value or below market value. Um, there's just a lot of people out there that are buying. It's harder to get deals. It's harder to get deals on eBay or Facebook groups or Rebel Scum or whatever. But I see way too many people that are sourcing stuff at market value or even above market value, it's just jacking the price up to mm-hmm. insane high market values. And um, I, I certainly don't think that that's, that's ethical or that's something that's, um, likely to give someone a good reputation because they'll be known as the person that's trying to, you know, get one over on the community and mine their pockets to the detriment of people that, that don't know any better, that are new collectors, that only see high-value sales going, and I think that's, that's what the market is. Um, so, so you mean if, you I, know, I, if think, I offer Derek the 12-back the uh, Luke Skywalker proof for $30,000, it won't, it won't be seen well? <laughs> First of all, if you buy it, I don't. I don't think that twenty thousand is actually a good deal. <laughs> what? As it is. So if you, yeah. So if you bought it at twenty and then sold it for thirty, yeah, you're you're not a you're not a good guy. But, but it's Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is worth money. I'm guys. I don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> but you know, another another thing that I think um, gets gets people's uh, hairs to stand on end is when. When people are dishonest about their intentions in buying a piece, right? I've I've sold to a few people in in my day that that said that they had to have the X Y Z piece for a run or for their collection or whatever. It's not. It hasn't happened a lot, but it's happened a few times. And someone said, "I have to have this for my personal collection," and then you know, two weeks later, I see that it's for sale on on eBay or whatever. Um, I think that's a huge ethical thing that. In someone, I mean, it's obvious. Don't don't say about what what you would do with something. Um, you know, I don't know that that happens too much, but it it certainly happened to me a few times. 
Oh, um, I, I'm sorry. I've got a new idea here because this is a word we need to come up with, but it's not going to work at all. Are you ready? <laughs> this is talking about focus collectors. Uh, like uh, faux, like uh -huh. the French word F-A-U-X. Yeah. So <laughs> faux focus collectors, because they're the ones who always do it. And I don't think usually people have bad intentions. I think a lot of times people think they're focus collectors. They get us, they get their, their butt bitten by the bug of focus collecting. And they're just like, I've got to have everything. And they truly believe that there will never be a second of their life where they do not want to have every Ugnot piece. And so they will call Derek every five minutes for 45, you know, days in a row. Like I suggest you do. Um, <laughs> And asking for the for the Ugnot piece, and then if Eric sells, I mean, if Derek sells it to them, they don't. They aren't actually lying, but they're just going to sell it, and they're not going to really care. And that's what I've seen happen tons of times, where people show up and they think that they're focus collectors, but really they're just kind of buying something compulsively, and then they just get rid of it. Um, I I don't know. I, I suppose what what do you think, Ross Cuddy, is the amount of time someone should be a focus collector? Before you, you know, before you consider them to be, no doubt of not being a faux focus collector. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of people recently, like inside of a year, you know, just flip their focus, sell off their focus, you know, you know, begging and crying and pleading for, you know several months, I need this, I'm a focus, that's my focus, that's my focus, and they get a bunch of stuff, and then they just sell it all, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, I mean, everybody's individual, you have, sometimes people hit situations, personal situations, where they, you know, have to sell off, or stuff like that, right, or, but, but I, they just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you don't know someone as that guy, as the, as the Chewbacca guy, or the Yoda guy, then it's kind of universally understood that that's who that person is. You know, unless they're very secret about it, because frankly, I didn't, I didn't know that Greg was the Black Bestman guard guy until tonight. So he's the exception. <laughs> oh yeah, um, he's Afro Bestinian. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I think I mean, that's part of it. I mean, when I put up, I, I put a photo up of my like proof and, and Kremlin run. Like you know, I had a guy you know immediately message me and you know and and want to buy it. It's just like. <laughs> Man, I've been working on this for like years. Like, there, there really is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, you know, and the first time I go and post it, and, you know, somebody's, you know, making me an offer on the whole bunch, I'm like, I'm not just going to, like, sell it. I'm not even interested in selling it. I, I don't even see it in, 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 you know, monetary value. You know what I mean? And it's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. These. These focus collectors. <laughs> I'd say uh, the whole compulsive oh. aspect of it, that that's, that's, I don't know. Well, the, Collecting yeah. is compulsive, but then there's like a, almost like a second degree of compulsive behavior where, like, for me, things are always, they, I mean, they were even before, but they're just kind of slow moving, and it was never, I don't know, I've never had that urge to be as active all the time and, and I, you'd see it all the time where stuff is just it's moving i mean i'm, I'm not the norm though i mean no but still it's that that compul <laughs> compulsive aspect yeah it, it's, it's it's compulsive and manic i think that's yeah. kind of that's what but right. but most collectors have that phase 
even, even if they're real deal, long-term focus collectors, yeah. you know, I mean, I was in that, I mean, I'm sure Derek can tell you plenty of stories about what it was like when a young Sky Payne was bidding everything up, uh, up on him. Um, and I, and I mean, who knows if Derek even thinks I'm the real deal now it's, it's been 11 years, but you know, I, I don't, how long did it take you, Derek, for you to believe I was actually a, a focus collector or do you still not believe it? When I did the the trade for the Cromelin review, that's when I... I oh, my God, I, that was like I, three years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> tough standards, tough standards. Wow, wow. Yeah, that was... Yeah, but 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 really, some, I mean, sometimes uh, you, you put your faith uh, into what some people tell you. I mean, uh, I, I do get hounded, and, and I've parked with uh, some of my runs before and uh, pieces that, that would help people's runs. And I think I would say half the time I'm, I'm very happy because I think half the time those pieces still stay with those collections. I, See, I think Derek, I, would uh, say I never. I felt like I didn't hound you all that much. You got dropped to do, do that <laughs> for you. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like uh, the B-Wing run, I mean, I, I was happy to, to help. Uh, with, with a few pieces that I I had that that that, that helped him out and and like I said the comment to to you those those you know I I was I'm still very happy that in some small way I, I helped but uh, there there are some other I mean collectors that that I shall not name that have hound me even even more and and they have to obviously hound me even more because I'm maybe my mistake was that I wasn't even that close to them. But subsequently, somehow they convinced me uh, to part with, with one or two, two character runs. And then somehow, sooner or later, I, I start to identify a pattern when, you know, they get the run in their possession and then they limelight it. And they are limelighting it. It's a prelude to basically putting it up for sale. Oh, I hate and that. And that, that, really, that really pisses me off. And then... Sometimes they they still come back to me after having sold that run and ask me for another run. For, for my another one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think we. Yes, that. Um, this is probably the most I've ever wanted to name names, but there is definitely a collector who is known for having done that several times of hounding people, buying their runs, and then displaying it. And the the thing that drives me the craziest is that usually people who do that make. Like twice as much as what they're run as what they paid for. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. right. Easily. I, I think it's because there's other their way of thinking of I'll just buy I don't care how much it is we'll keep going because there's someone else who will think like that. But no, anyways, we're not in this hobby to to make money, which is part of the reason why um, we probably enjoy it so much. Um, yeah. But well, okay. Well, I want I want a time frame. So what I want is just for each of us. How many years before you really accept that someone is a focus collector? I'm trying to think about all the Chewbacca guys who have come and gone. And I'm trying to think of the amount of time I've accepted it. I think I would put it at three years. That's at the point where the puppy love is over and they are married to the Wookiee. So I would say three years. Steve? I'd say something around that. Yeah, two or three years. Um Depending okay. on the character, I guess. <laughs> At some point, you might run out of <laughs> stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but no. I... What about you, Ross Cuddy, Bam Shabam? Um, 
four to five years. Four to five years. Okay, Greg? Uh, I'm with you at three years. Okay, Ross Barr? I, I promise I'm not copying. I had three in my mind when you said the question. Okay, and Derek? I, I, I would say more than three. I, I mean, probably yeah. closer to, to, to five and beyond. Yeah. Because I'm more guarded now. Right, because you've had your heart broken so many times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, you should have sold those emperor stuff to me, Derek. I didn't even know you would sell them. <clears throat> Not that it was emperor. <clears throat> it could have been. It was. Okay. <laughs> wow, Steve, we got through a lot of this stuff, huh? Yeah, no, it was a, a well-plotted uh, out little course you had here. It's good. All right, well, Steve... The round table's over, but everyone's just sticking around. Yeah, it's, uh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be really cool. I think um, we can, ooh, we'll have an awesome version. Nobody click on the market watch because we'll all, we'll try to figure out some kind of game. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> it's not going to work, so everyone just get ready for it not to work. <laughs> um, I think maybe we should start with, uh, well, you know, actually, let's talk to Greg about collecting the Black Bestman Guard or the Afro Bestman Guard. Um, why do you collect the Afro Bestman Guard, Greg? Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to start uh, this with uh, a question to your question first. Yes. How come you know that I, I'm a Bestman Guard collector? I mean, is it because I approached? Oh yeah, because I approached you to 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 ask about the getting your getting the Bestman Guard from your Chewy. Uh, I I think that was two pack. Yes, I think that was it, and I think there was a collector who's also from right. Singapore. I won't say who, but he mentioned <laughs> that you had right. had a, a run, which is maybe unethical of that collector. I'm not saying <laughs> it's. It could be someone who's on the line now. It could be a different Singaporean collector. Um, but I, <laughs> I just somehow knew that you had that. Have you been trying to keep that a secret? Uh, not not really, but uh, I I never I never put it out there that that um, I'm a I'm a best I'm a black best in gut character, uh, you know um, collector. So yeah, I was I was quite curious when how how you sort of like knew I was I was I was the dude for it. Wait, you, you didn't post on the on the figure of the week thread all the way back in Rebel Scum days. I thought that you posted a bunch of pictures on there. Oh. Uh, yeah, I get, I think I did, I did, yeah, 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 okay. you're right, you're right, okay, all right, all right, now I understand, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, you dropped my memory there, yeah, yes, yeah. so, yeah. that, yeah. the Singaporean collector who told me you were a Black Vespigar collector was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you've identified, my memory is, uh, abnormal at times. So now that we've established right. that you are no longer a secret okay. Afro Bespin yes, collector, yes, I am, I am. <laughs> what, what what is it that brought you to uh, to his his gold lemonade cuff? Ah, all right. Well, that, that that's a, well, it's not a it's not a interesting story, but uh, okay. I I I do a, I I do dabble a bit in the uh, white Bespin gut as well. Okay. Uh, but I started off uh, doing a small run of the white Bespin gut. But uh, as you all know, the uh, the Bespin, white Bespin guard collector uh, out there is Johan Sitlin. Yes. So uh, he, when he, you know, swiped everything uh, or most of the good stuff, I, I was left high and dry. So I, I, I was thinking, I said, hey, um, I knew where some of the black Bespin guard stuff was. 
um, yeah, uh, it would be nice to like uh, unite, you know, the crockett and tubs of uh, the best in the world, <laughs> you know, back together. Uh, so, I, so I went after the Bespin Guards, uh, I mean the Black Bespin Guard, and uh, well, well, I was lucky and I picked up, uh, gained momentum and I picked up uh, quite a few items until it is the run that it is today. Wow. And, and, yeah, and so it, basically I went after it just to keep, just to keep, uh, you know, uh, Sonny Crockett of the Bespin <laughs> World <laughs> Company, that's it. So are you a big fan of Miami Vice? Oh yeah, big fan, big fan. Yeah, is that like a thing in Singapore yeah, yeah. that like everyone loves Miami Vice, or am I just generalizing because I like to do that? Uh, I I think I think um, not that big, not that big, but there are a few the few uh, hardcore hardcore fans out here. Hey wait, hey Derek. Yes. Are, are you a big Miami Vice fan? I I used to like the show when when I was younger. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. did, did they ever make toys of Miami Vice? Yes, they did. Uh, Mesco did. Yes, they did. They did. A few few prototypes for for it, and I think Glassleaf also has a few uh, vehicles and, and figures, maybe. Okay, so then this is this is what I would like. Please, Greg, could you please put yeah. together a run of Crockett and Tubbs and Crockett and Tubbs? So, <laughs> both the Miami Vice of the Star Wars world plus the Miami Vice of the Miami Vice world. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm inspired now because um, <laughs> Derek just said there's some. Prototypes out there, so I may have a new. I may have to hunt them down. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you have to go too far to find them either. Um, probably somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they probably may be floating around somewhere in Singapore. Now, now, what is it for? If someone decided they wanted to collect the Afro Bespin Guard. Um, what yeah. would they be surprised as like? Uh, what's sort of a surprisingly difficult thing to find? Uh, well, like I said earlier in the, in the show, um, I think a, a regular, you know, just like a regular vanilla plane 45 back is, is, is pretty, is pretty uh, difficult to come by. Um, I'm not even sure of it. Actually, it should, I'm not sure, but I think it should exist because I'm, I'm looking through, my, through most of what I have, and, yeah, I don't have uh, 45 back um, proof? a regular 45, yeah, 45 back proof. I've got the two... Um, production like ones, one with the punch and one unpunched, but no, you know, regular, regular 45 bag proof. So I think I, I think that that that's pretty that's pretty hard to come by. Well, I can tell you, this is another question of right. ethics, which we can bring back the round table. So, yeah. what if you have seen something that a right. focus collector really wants, and right. the person doesn't want you to share that information? But, like, I really feel like you should know where there is one. You're never going to get okay. it because the person who has it doesn't, I don't think, ever sells. Sell. Yeah. But, like, yeah. uh, what, 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 I mean, what, what do you think about that, Ross Cuddy? Like, do you think I should tell Greg where I saw a 45 back proof? Or do you think if, if someone showed it to me in confidence, I shouldn't tell, I shouldn't tell Greg? Well, I mean, if it's in confidence... You keep it in confidence, but yeah. I mean, you can say, uh, "I know that there is one out there." Give you know, give them a little bit of hope. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the good news is, when I saw it, it wasn't in complete confidence, and I told Derek, and I said, "Derek, make sure you tell Greg." And so I, I, I guess he didn't. So. 
<laughs> but lies, all lies. <laughs> it's not lies, but it, don't worry. It, it'll be in uh, Matthias's next book. So, uh, um, but yes, it, it there definitely is a regular. All but, right. Because what happened was I saw it in a location, which is a place where Matthias took a lot of the photographs, and okay. and I was like looking. It happens to be a large source of proofs that are not particularly well um, organized. Mm. So you okay. didn't know what you were going to find when you were looking through here. And I was looking right. for a standard 77 back emperor, which I didn't think existed. Okay. You know, like not right, on a proof right. sheet. And there was one there. Yeah. And then I yeah. saw a 45 back Black Bespin guard. And I felt good because I was like, good, this way I don't have to cut up my sheet. Greg can at least get one somewhere. <laughs> um, but then where I saw it, things don't leave that collection usually. But yeah. Ah, okay, okay. It, it's it's good to it's it's good to know it it's out there. It's yes. good to know. Um, Although yeah. that really that really takes out my trade value, but you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's a weird thing because on the Black Bestman Guard uh from the, the sheet that I have, it actually has a, a black X on the the cardboard behind where the figure is. I can't figure out why that would be. Is there anyone have any idea why there would be a black X on a proof sheet? I think on some of the sheets uh, that, that, that um, Derek and I cut up previously, that some of the sheets, Stop bringing that the up. characters also <laughs> yeah, had, 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 had these um, black crosses or X's uh, where, the figure sh where the figure should be. Right, and so that was just yeah. So uh, yeah, that, 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 that's a that's a bit of a mystery. Um, you know, why 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 that was done? Well, maybe Matthias will tell us in his next book. Um, I've actually taken it to be that the the Afro Bespin Guard has joined the Nation of Islam. Um, which is a, a black militant group here in America, like Muhammad Ali yeah, yeah. or like Malcolm yeah, X, yeah. and then he just changed his name to Bespin X, and uh, <laughs> that that was. But again, this is this has been an interesting episode, switching between ethics and random uh, race theories. So, yeah. uh, is there even any real like foreign variants? I'm trying uh, to think. Well, I, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a Canadian uh, transition. Canadian transition. Oh, that's one. nice. That's yeah. That's, that, nice. That, 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 that's a nice piece. Um, I'm not sure if there's a uh, PDP one out there. I think there is. I've, I've seen pictures of it. Um, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe a Meccano one. one as well. Yeah, the Meccano yeah, one. Yeah, there's probably a Meccano one up there with the with the guts be inserted. Maybe a white best yeah, gut, yeah. black best gut cut, or a black best gut, or right. a white best cut. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think this would be like the, the harder to get, I don't know, really uh, rare foreign stuff. Right. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Well, then, um, I think probably we should go into the nugget, which is themed around the Black Bespin Guard. So I'm going to put in the theme song here. It is a nugget from the archive. It is a nugget. From the archive. And now that we're back from the theme song, uh, Steve, what have you picked for the nugget for the for the Afro Bespin Guard? So when when searching the archive for, for stuff on this figure, there isn't all that that much. But the one thing that we we've got here is uh, it's from as we mentioned earlier, it's from the collection of 
good old Ron Salvatore. It's the uh, the wax sculpt for the uh, the figure's head. So it's it's apparently the only surviving piece from the sculpt as well. Um, but yeah, so it's sculpted in kind of a a white wax, and you can see that it has the uh, the parting lines on the figure, which would have been used for the to kind of distinguish the two sides of the silicon mold, which would then make the hard copy. But hey, go read Tommy's post about all that. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but what's cool about it is uh, the original pictures that are on the, the archive entry are a little small, but Ron took some nicer uh, big pictures and really see the detail. Um, and one of the weird things, too, you, you don't really notice on the production figure is all the detail that goes into the hair. Um, yes. Like on the back of the figure's head. It's really... And I think... The same thing we, we noticed, I think, when we talked to Ron about the, the sculpt for the Lando head. Um, it's the same kind of, it just looks the, almost the same kind of style. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just nice that something did survive, but it, it is just the figure's head. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I figured in terms of pre-production stuff, uh, this is a one-off, of, of course. Uh, I thought we might as well get it out there that it's, <laughs> that it's on the archive. Well, you know, it's it's really beautiful because it kind of like all of Ron's pictures of these sort of things. It really looks more like a, a early first century Roman, you know, bust than it does right. like a toy. Right. Yeah, and, and you really see the detail. And it's funny because it's it's white. You know, it's a black Bespin garden. It's white. That's kind of funny. It reminds me of your racist figure, Steve. Um, for those of you who don't know, Steve has a black Bespin guard that some racist kid painted white with white out. Um, but, but this isn't at all like that. Like this, you really see how tenderly it was. Uh, and you know, we've, we've codenamed the, the sculptor, uh, what is it? Tillman? Yes. We've codenamed the sculptor Tillman. Um, the, you know, we, we spent a lot of attention on how his sculpts have this strange lean to them and how they have the different poses, but really it's a really expressive face. Yeah. And, yeah. and I really think just the, the paint application really messes up this figure. A- absolutely. Because <laughs> um, there's a real sort of dignity and interesting uh, nature of his face that's just totally lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. I-, I asked Ron if there was any good story uh, about how he got uh, head from this sculptor. Um, and he said that there wasn't, I see, I, I made that joke for Ross. I just knew he'd laugh at it, but, um, yeah, uh, Ron told me there was not any particularly good story, which means there probably is. He just didn't feel like coming on tonight. Um, <laughs> cause Ron's always got good stories about getting head from sculptors. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, a fairly beautiful piece. Now here's a question for you. Uh, um, either of the Singaporean guys. Would you trade uh, one of your proof sheets for this uh, this head? One of your, uh, you know, the eight sheet for this head? Well, for me, that's a tough one. I know. That's why I uh, asked it. That's why it's a fun yeah, question. Yeah, that, that, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> um, well, it, it, I, I may, I may, I may. For me, I made because I because I you know I, it's it's a focus and and that that is you know it's a really nice one of a kind piece. Yeah. How about how about yep. you, Derek? And then no, the black bespin guard is lame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's a good answer. Um, the the good thing is it's in Ron's collection, so you don't have to worry about ever getting it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I have to remember next time I go by to actually take a take a closer look at this. That's the problem with <laughs> yeah, Ron's yeah. collection. There's so much nice stuff. You're just like, hey, yeah, okay. But yeah, I don't think he's that lame, Derek. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, also, I, I was expecting expecting you guys to make more fun of him <laughs> because you hope. You all make you all usually make a lot of fun of, of all the lame characters, like the, the last one of the uh, podcasts when you did for 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 Matthias and his uh, popsicle oh, uh, yeah. car pilot. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Well, you know, it's it's the it's the subtle thing of where we don't want to be seen as racist, so we can't really make fun. <laughs> I, I think that's part of it is we can't really make fun of this character. Make fun, right? Um, right. But it's also too that. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but I think he may be the weirdest human character in the line. Because just his weird pose, and like Steve was saying, he's kind of this weird, slender, you know, fey arm, and just like, it's, uh, there's just something about him. He's kind of unsettling, I think. I think the card back is unsettling, I think the figure is unsettling, I think his pose is unsettling. Um, He's the same, the sculptor who did uh, Lukas, right? He did Yes, he, he did Afro Bespinian guard. So yeah, that sculptor liked to put a little swagger yep. in his figures. Yep, yeah, that's uh, we we just came up with it now. It was Ron's idea. We we call that sculptor Tillman because the name of the German sculptor he was imitating was named Tillman. Oh. So that's oh. our, our sort of oh. code name. That if you look at it and say, "Oh, that's a Tillman sculpt," um, that's how you know it comes from from this guy. Um, but right, that's right. why it was fun to spend so much time looking at uh, at his face. Yeah, All right. Well, okay. then, what do you say before we get to the uh, the crazy market watch game? We go to an unloved item, Steve. Sure thing. You don't hate only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. The unloved and the unnatural. All right, Steve. Does this unloved item have it? See, this is what happens. So, Greg, you were saying you're surprised we're not making fun of the Bespin Guard. You always <laughs> yeah, know when yeah. it's a lame character when the unloved item has nothing to do with the character, <laughs> because that means that everything that has to do with this character is unloved. So, um, so Steve, what is the unloved item of the month? Sky here. Um, it's not entirely clear. Or what we're talking about here when Steve starts going. So it's a 1970s, basically like a slot car set. So you have two cars and you can race them against each other and you have a remote control. It was a popular toy in the 70s. And this is a Star Wars version of that that Steve is going to describe. So this is something that Ron wrote a really great blog post about. There's an archive entry that has some detail, but this blog post goes into much greater detail and definitely pokes some fun, which which he's good at. Um, what it is, it's uh, the Duel at the Death Star racing set, which was produced by Fun Dimensions, which is it's an awesome company name. Yes. <laughs> um, so they, they were in the same General Mills fun group as Kenner, so they're they're in the same family, um, but so what this thing is, I mean, I, I was never really into like the racetrack car kind of stuff as a kid, but to see a, a terribly executed Star Wars incarnation of one is, is pretty awesome 
Um, <laughs> but what you got is like a it's like a racetrack with two Star Wars ish themed cars. One's supposed to be Darth Vader's Tie Fighter, the other's the X Wing. But <laughs> there's just I don't know. It it just seems poorly executed in a lot of ways. Um, did you did you have a chance to read Ron's write up on it? Yeah, it's it's pretty beautiful. Um, <laughs> but it's see, Ron has this way of finding things where you. You just go. Oh, look at it. just you just look at the pictures, and I I I, I spend so much time looking at these pictures because it just yeah. looks so unbelievably lame. Yeah. But yet charming in in a non condescending way. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and just like the language that they use to describe these things back then is something that always like fascinates me and just amuses me <laughs> generally. Right. But so like for this, like the the catalog description mentions. Special graphics uh, featuring the Star Wars heroes and space scenes to heighten the mood, which is just like, <laughs> an awesome, awesome phrase. And then, like, the list of features, you have, you know, galaxy billboards and uh, a detour, which, you know, all, all racetrack things. You need to have a, a safety <laughs> yeah. detour. But I, I don't know. And it, it's it, just... it, was, it was electrified, right? So it was like, um, so it was like a standard thing in the 70s, right? Where yeah, you had... Yeah two paddles and right. how fast it went was how much juice you gave it. And then the key was it has these turns and you have to slow down at the turns in order for it to make, to, so basically it's just like real racing where you have to have enough speed and control. Right. 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 Um, so I think what we need to do is actually read the copy, um, from the wholesale catalog, which Ron okay. has provided here. Um, okay. it's, it's going to require my stentarian voice, Steve. I'm say, I'll leave that, leave that to you. Yeah. The drama and excitement of the climactic duel between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker has been captured in this action-packed racing set from Power Passers. Darth's TIE fighter screams in pursuit of Luke's X-Wing fighter. Will Darth explode Luke's ship before Luke wins the game by blowing up the Death Star? The snips scream down the track, dodging, switching lanes, and making whipping fast turns. The tension mounts as the laps tick off the counter closer and closer to the explosion mark. Who wins? Everybody does, because there's enough thrilling action for the most demanding Star Wars fan. Special graphics featuring the Star Wars heroes and space scenes to heighten the mood. <laughs> Who doesn't want to buy this, guys? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, now, Jer now Derek, do, do, you, do you have the duel to Death Star racing set, Derek? No, I don't. No. <laughs> then it's, that's that's I it. I did. It's <laughs> I wish I did now. Yeah, see, I feel like we're advertising to collectors, or at the very least, advertising to me. Um, because <laughs> You're selling yourself on all these unloved items, guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something about the, the unloved items that are so 70s, they're painful. Yeah. And this is just the kind of thing that people play with in the 70s. I think of the episode of The Simpsons where um, uh, Marge is having friends come over, and... <laughs> And she comes into the living room, and Homer is playing with these race electric race cars in his underpants on the floor. <laughs> and she goes, "All I wanted was for you to wear pants." 
Oh, I'm sure I butchered that, but... What? Are you ready? Just gotta put my shoes on. The only thing I asked you to do for this party was put on clothes and you didn't do it. I, I could just sort of see Ron sitting up there in the in his uh, collection room just racing these against themselves. <laughs> but the, the I guess the last thing to say about it that's interesting... Um, well, actually, not the last thing. There's a couple more things to say. It's cool because I can imagine this feeding into the imagination of the kid. It's not that much of a stretch to think of the TIE fighter and the X-Wing racing to a certain point. Racing, yeah. 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 I mean, they are kind of racing, and a trench is kind of like this, so it's not that much of a failure. Um, but there's this painting of Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yes, yes. First of all, he looks like he's in his late 30s. I was going to say, it looks like he's aged a bit. <laughs> um, he, he actually looks like John Denver. I, there's something about him. That just... <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, I, I like how you've picked an unloved item that also serves our function of highlighting things going on in the archive. Because yeah, I'm telling you, these that. blog posts are just getting better and better. Um, yeah. Hours of slotless racing excitement in a Star Wars setting. So it's not a slot car. How did how do these things actually move? It was electric, but it wasn't slotted. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Steve, I know what we call this. <laughs> Archive party three. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, it's happening. And if we guys, can get Ron to bring his. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. They're, I'm sure they're a dime a dozen. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, then I think that leaves us with the crazy, crazy market watch game. So, Steve, let's take a second to figure out how we're going to do this, and then come say, back uh, on the other end. <laughs> One dollar flicks. Market watch. Okay, so we just decided how we're going to do the market watch game. And instead of recording it, we discussed it off mic. So it's very exciting. All five of us are going to guess. Steve is going to be the master of ceremonies, as he so often is. And it's just going to be a simple price is right. The closest person wins. And then we've decided that whoever wins this contest, something good is going to happen. I think at the Archive Party 3, they... What should they get to do, Steve? <laughs> so they're not going to get your, your Black Vestman Guard? <laughs> Siamese Twin Proof? <laughs> no, but you know what they will get? They will get the Black Vestman Guard Haiku. The Black Bestman right. Guard Sky Coup that I will okay. eventually make um, based on my amazing Sky Coup from early in the episode. The winner of that uh, gets this. All right. Okay. So, are right, you guys ready? We are all ready. Okay. Oh, and also nice. talk about ethics. Steve has actually already sent over all of these auctions, so we could all just click and get the answers. <laughs> but we are the most ethical collectors, with the exception of both those guys from Singapore who cut up all the proof sheets. We are the most <laughs> ethical collectors in the hobby. All right. Okay. Um, all right. So, what we got? We got five uh, Afro Bespinian guard items. Pulled from eBay by our good friend Brisbane Brisbane Mike. All um, right. So here we go. Item number one is a 45 back uh, unpunched carded figure. Uh, it's not graded, but otherwise in pretty good shape. 
So I, I have all. I'm gonna like just go through an order. I've written the names down here. Uh, all right, Sky. What's your your guess? Eighty three dollars. Okay. Uh, Ross B. Seventy dollars. Seventy. Okay. Ross C. Bam shabam. One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Derek. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. All right. Oh, and Greg. <laughs> I'm going Greg. to go for 101. 101. All right. Well, 59.99. So that goes, I guess, to Ross B. Right? Yeah. Boom. What, what, what did he guess? Seventy. Seventy. Oh, okay. I thought it was closest without going over. No, we just said closest. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry, Ross. <laughs> all right. That's all right, all right. that's one point for one. Wrong, one point for, for Ross, Ross Bar. Sorry, Ross right. Cuddy Bam Shabam. <laughs> All right, so up next, we've got a uh, AFA 80, 47 back, uh, Forlom offer. AFA 80. Sky? Okay. I am saying 90 American dollars. 90 American dollars. All right. Ross Barr? I'll say $110. Okay. Ross Cuddy? Bam, Shabam. 130 130. All right. Derek? Damn, I wrote down 129. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Now that's All an ethical right. guy. Here we go. <laughs> and Greg? Uh, I'll put that at uh, 135. 135? Well, that one went for 212.50, so that one Ooh. goes to Greg. You guys just kind of, <laughs> except for Derek there, it was like incrementally going up, like, oh, this is making it easy for me. <laughs> Wow. So Greg gets that one. Two hundred and twelve dollars and fifty cents. Wow. Is that clear bubble? Clear bubble? Uh yeah, clear bubble. I guess yeah. that's it, because there's not a lot that's, of clear bubble. That's true. I guess I should have made that yeah. stipulation. Sorry guys. But Oh Steve, it's cooked. Yeah. It's cooked. Um <laughs> Alright. So up next we've got let's see here. Okay. Three thousand dollars. Oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So this is another 47 back. This one is uh, a little rougher. Um, the uh, the punch is kind of torn away, but it does have a um, Power of the Force uh, free coin sticker attached, as well as a, a couple of, Ooh. looks like, Toys R Us price tags. So, yeah, and it also has a yellow bubble. So yellow bubble, torn punch, but it has the, uh, the Power of the Force coin sticker. So Sky? Okay, I'm just going to let everyone write down their number now. Write down the number. Don't just react to everyone else's number. Ethics here. <laughs> Ethics. All right. My number is locked. My okay. number is twenty-five dollars. Twenty-five. All right, Ross B. Forty-five. Forty-five. All right, Ross C. Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Okay, Derek. I have forty-nine written down. Forty-nine. <laughs> and Greg. I'm 55. 55. All right, let's see here. Uh, we've got 36. So that one goes to Ross B again. What? No, I said 25. Oh, wait, wait, hold on a second. That's that's 11 off and he's 9 off, right? Am I doing math wrong? No, we're doing a price, do price is right style now. We changed wait it a minute. for the last Sky. one. Hold on, Sky. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. None of that. All right. 
you guys all know that in the end of this guy will end up winning somehow. That has been the <laughs> repeated pattern. All right. <laughs> Just tell me when uh, it's the last one. It's rigged. It's rigged. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So up next, we've got, let's see, what is this guy? This is the 48 back with the revenge. Uh, it looks like, yeah, this is a printed revenge offer. Um, so 48 C. 48 C. It's not graded. Uh, it has a slightly yellow bubble, punches out, but otherwise looks pretty good. Hmm. 48 C. Wait, mm-hmm. what's out? So the, the punch. Oh, the okay. punch is out. Yeah. Um, you said yeah, ungraded? ungraded? Un- ungraded, yeah. All right. Everyone lock in your numbers. I am going to say the number that is tied in with the Oakland Raiders winning their first Super Bowl, the birth of Fiona Apple, the birth of one Sky Payne, and, of course, the movie that we all know as A New Hope, $77. Okay. Ross Barr? We go $40. $40, okay. Ross C? Bam, shabam. Oh, 75 75, okay. Uh, let's see, Derek? 72. 72, all right. And Greg? $60. 60. Wow, okay. We have a, a tie here. <laughs> it was 50, so Ross had 40, Greg had 60, right in the middle there. How, how do we decide this, Sky, or should I not be asking well, you, you crook? <laughs> wait, 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 is this the last one? <laughs> no, there's one more. Oh crap! See, this this is a, the new situation here. This is a tie. Uh, we give it to Greg <laughs> because because he's the focus collector. <laughs> no, because because that may that means that we have a two way tie, and that's a lot more interesting than Ross being up three one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like an NBA referee. What? What about the, pri- the Price is Right rule tiebreaker? Lois, man, Lois was not going over. <laughs> Yep. Listen, uh, listen, Ross. Just lose with dignity, would you? Okay. Ne- all right. Next one wins it. This is for all the marbles. Uh, see, this is where we always end up. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is this is a uh, an interesting one. Wait, how many it more is, do we have left? This is the last one. Scott. Okay. So this so, is the one. So whoever this... wins this one wins. Okay. This well, is for all the marbles. Well. Okay. <laughs> all right. So what we have here is uh, it's it also it's two. 48 C's. Both are fairly mangled and fairly yellow. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. My also, well, my favorite thing about this auction is that it is from uh, a place in Nashville, Tennessee called The Great Escape, which is an awesome like record slash comic slash toy store that I've been to a few times. So I, I kind of got a kick out of that seeing it was their listing. But so two mangled but still sealed uh, 48 C's. Okay, so it comes from some hipster store that Steve likes. And that's on there. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, do they sell um, like mustache wax there as well, Steve? Okay. All right. I'll figure that out. All right. Great. Uh, like uh, vintage furniture? No. No. no okay. Furniture. All right. Take some off. Not- okay. Old timey bicycles? Yeah, old timey bicycles. <laughs> no. no. Okay. Craft beers? No. Okay. No. All right. 
just give me your number. Call me coffee. <laughs> I, I just I love hipster Steve. It's this new thing that's just popped up. It's great. Uh, he liked being pilot before it was lame. Um, okay, I'm going to say uh, forty-five American dollars. Forty-five. All right, Ross B. Fifty-two dollars. Fifty-two. Okay, Ross C. Fifty bucks. Fifty. Okay, Derek. I had fifty-one. Fifty-one. <laughs> <You're> the worst. <laughs> we got a log jam. We got a log jam. All right, and Greg, what about you? Uh, I'll go for sixty-nine. Yeah, you will. <laughs> All right. Well, Sky, I, you did get this one. It was for twenty-five dollars. Yes, I win oh. again. <laughs> I cannot I don't know there was a consensus with that ruling, but <laughs> uh. <laughs> so twenty-five bucks for two. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Wow. They must have been pretty mangled, huh? They're they're pretty mangled. I mean, it looks like a dog. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> right, right. All right, right. so all right, all right, so so the, all right, we do have to have a tiebreaker. Obviously, Ross and Greg are tied, so yeah, we need to come up with a tiebreaker. Okay, I have the tiebreaker. Okay, are yeah, you guys like a live auction right now? No, no, no. It's even better okay. than that. Okay. All right. So I am going to look. Um. Uh, okay. So I'm going to give you the name of a card back, and you have to tell me. What number the Black Bespin Guard is on the card back? Okay, and you have to say it within three seconds, so there's no cheating. Okay? Uh, no, hang on. What, what do you mean? What number? Like what number on the back? Like collect all seventy-seven in the, in the list. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Okay. What number is the Black Bespin Guard? Seventy-seven back. Ross B. Go. The thirty-six. Okay, uh, Greg. Uh, uh, number. Number. Forty-five. <laughs> okay, he said forty-five. What did What did Ross say? Thirty-six. Thirty-six. It's forty-one. Oh, there. <laughs> oh man, is that another tie? <laughs> is that a tie? Oh, oh not quite. <laughs> Very close though. Great, <laughs> great. I think Greg won, won Greg, it. Greg, Greg wow. won it. <laughs> okay, that, that's a good tiebreaker. Oh wow. <laughs> That's that's pretty it's funny. It's fitting that the, the that that is how the black best regard focus collector should win. That's, yes, that's good. absolutely. <laughs> yep, and it's interesting because he's actually right next to his Tillman buddy uh, Luke Hoff in that uh, in that picture. Ah, right on. Wow, that was that was a good market well, watch game. Steve. I didn't say that that went about as smooth as any of them had. So you know, it probably helps that we put any thought at all into them. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> so we we do have a couple more auctions. I don't know if you guys wanted to talk about these as well. Um, now, these are from Pete. Have any of you not opened up the the outline yet? No, you've all opened up. Uh, the outline. I read it, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't check the links. Okay. Yeah. Same. Okay, I didn't know if it was worth it if you guys you know closed it up and, and wanted to guess on these two. But I, it's all about coins. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't they, know anything about a, coins. So you got, Four four uh, sales here. Pete did a kind of a few months back. Kind of did a roundup of recent coin sales. Um, I just grabbed a, a couple from different categories that um, I thought were kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know. How, do you want to just want to go straight straight old fashioned market watch? Yep, or straight you, old fashioned. Okay. okay. So for the, the earlier category, you know, lower categories one and two, 
I picked uh, an Anakin uh, that sold for over $200, $216, which seemed insane to me. Because I remember way back when I got an Anakin coin, I feel like I paid like $30 maybe, but this is years ago. But anyway, it was a completed auction, not graded or anything, just an Anakin Skywalker coin for 216 Wow, that's that's pretty high. Do you do any yeah. of you guys have a full coin set? No, not nope. me. No, 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 not here. Not even you, Derek? Nope, nope, nope. Does it just not interest you? <laughs> no, I can't afford it. I can't afford a full set. Oh, of course you can't. Right? Okay. <laughs> I got. I have one coin, and it and it cost me a lot. Uh, what coin is that? Uh, that's the. Um, uh, Luke, uh, Luke X-wing with um, the pitch coin, with the Yoda on the back, but the wireframe version instead of the sculpted version. Sky here. Don't worry. You don't know what a Luke pitch coin is with a wireframe version. It turns out that good old Hey Ross Cuddy is going to explain it in an impromptu vintage vocab. It's vintage. Wait, 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 I don't actually fully understand all the words that are coming out of your mouth. Okay. <laughs> so then it's the it's a Luke, like a Jedi Luke pitch yeah. coin? Yeah, well, it, it's a it's the referred to as the pitch coin. It, so it's like the sort of the coin, the first sort of coin samples that they um, sort of sent to sort of, you know, look over and see if that's what they want to do. It's smaller than the regular coins. Okay. And, uh, I mean, you can find them fairly easily. They're usually around 100 bucks. And on the, so the front has Luke, um, well, it's actually Luke, it's Luke in his X-Wing outfit, but it's, the, the text is Luke Skywalker Jedi. Okay. But it's actually Luke in his X-Wing outfit, and the X-Wing is shooting around him. Uh, and then on the back side, it says, um, you know, Jedi Knight, may the force be with you. But right underneath Jedi Knight is like a little bust image of, of Yoda. And most of the most of these coins, it, it's just sort of like a, it would look like just the front, sort of like, you know, the, an embossed relief uh, of Yoda. But there's uh, an earlier version or an alternate version of that where it's just sort of like a wireframe, sort of like a line art. Huh. Uh, image of Yoda and uh, that that one is incredibly rare and I've been looking for one oh for seven years and uh, Tom Nyheisel recently had one up for sale and I managed to scrape enough funds together to afford it so that's pretty much the only coin in my collection. What's really funny about this, Ross, is this is one that I meant to uh, to talk about, but I forgot to put on the list. <laughs> if, if it is indeed the same one from from Tom, it uh, might be. Yeah. Oh, so this actually sold recently. Yeah, it was. It was. I think just a. I don't know, like four months ago or something. Huh. So it's called a wireframe Yoda. Right. Correct. Yeah. It's 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 referred to as wireframe. Yeah. You could call it almost line art, but. I mean, the, the the back says Jedi Knight. It may the force be with you. And then I'm just trying to read it. I got the coin right here: Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy. Uh, something or something. Four thousand years. 
you know, goes, oh, whatever, all that Jedi Knight stuff. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, but underneath the text at the top is like a little tiny, like, Yoda head. I, I don't know why they were, like I said, it was a pitch coin just to sort of, that they kind of, I, I guess, just cobbled together and say, hey, look, let's put, let's make coins, you know, and, and, and so they made this pitch coin and, and it's, I don't know, maybe about, I'm not a coin guru, king, or part of the mafia or anything like that, but <laughs> I just, it's probably like, you know, 15, 20% smaller than what the actual coins are. So, uh, you know, you can easily identify them because they're small, but I, I don't know why they have Yoda on the back, but they, they do. And I think they just, they tried a couple of different uh, techniques. Uh, one, again, was just sort of like an embossed relief, just like you would have on the front of the coin, and then the other version was like this line art, uh, line art version. And of course, the line art one is, is rare, but luckily most of the kings and mafia members already had <laughs> an example, so uh, I wasn't uh, out outbid by any of these heavy hitters. So, wow, well that's cool. Do you know what we just got out of that, Steve? Some uh, some uh, vocab. Yeah, vintage vocab. I just I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna put in the uh, I'm gonna go back and put in the the soundtrack because that's cool because I didn't I don't think I'd ever really we'd ever really talked about a pitch coin. We certainly haven't talked about you know. Uh, pelvic mesh Yoda, or whatever it was called, the wire thing. Wire um, thing. <laughs> pelvic mesh. It's like he had a hernia operation. This is how yeah. things get out of control, yeah, guys. This is how terminology just goes off the rails, and you have people. Nah. Yeah. After, after he lifted the X wing, he got a hernia, so he had to get his pelvic mesh. Yes, him. exactly. <laughs> uh, well, cool. That was a fruitful question. All right, so then. Yeah. I, uh, I guess the Anakin has to sell for a lot more just because people think of it as being rare because the card figure is rare. But. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd, I guess I'd want to talk to a, a coin guru, as, as yeah. Ross put it, to really get the, the story on that. But that's a Category 2 coin, according to the uh, the old standard. So um, so the next one we have is uh, a Han Hoth, which is Category 3. This one was an AFA 85 um, or sorry, category four, um, and this one sold for uh, one hundred sixty-three fifty-nine. So it's like less than that Anakin. So I feel like something weird might, might have been going on there. I'm not sure, but so the Han Hoth, uh, one hundred sixty-three graded. Huh. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Nothing to say about uh, that, Steve. Move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So then we have a Bib Fortuna, which. Uh, I guess some uh, AFA ninety uh, that sold for one hundred and seventy eight, um, which I guess you know you get into those. This is where the thing it's in the grand scheme of things when you're trying to put together a coin set, you realize you start getting into areas where you're spending hundreds of dollars a pop. So I could see that you know being discouraging <laughs> to some, but yeah, I mean it's, it's you know coins are what they are. They, they definitely have an interest. So. Plus, this is the coin that taught everyone what the word major domo means. So. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, yeah. Steve, I'm going to jump in on the last one here, which is a okay. Princess Leia Bush coin. Yeah. So my question is, uh, let's talk to Derek because he's bought the most proofs. Um, well, do you, ha- do you have a Power of the Force uh, Leia Bush, Derek? Uh, like proof or Kromlin? Uh No. No, okay. I don't have one. But what do you think that would have sold for five years ago? The coin or, or, no, the, or the proof? A, a proof, an unproduced Leia Bush proof. 
Five years ago, do you think? Five five years ago? Five years ago, you'd probably get about $1,500. Right. So this coin sold for $1,400. <laughs> <laughs> so a coin that would have gone... Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. That yeah. it's uh, tomorrow's... <laughs> today's proof price. Today's proof prices for tomorrow's coins. I don't know how to phrase it. I'd Ross we'll have to help have Ross help us with that, but uh, it's it's pretty amazing. But yeah. but I think it's a rare coin. It's one of the rarer rare, rare, yeah. rare coins. Yeah. It's always uh, maybe the last five or last four that people need to maybe the last five that they need to complete their their set. I think. Yeah, it, it makes sense, but it's. Uh, Still pretty high. But awesome. Uh, well, is that it, Steve? Yeah, I mean, that, that rounds out the market watch. Cool. Well, then I think uh, it's time for us to finally uh, bid adieu to our amazing uh, group. They didn't talk over each other at all. I'm hardly going to have to edit this, except for Ross's potty mouth, literally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be pretty much all set. This has been great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you guys all for, for coming. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's fun. For all Anytime. Man. All right, cool. Good yeah, night. it's been great. Cool. Good night, everybody. All right, good night. Good night. We here at the Kivecast really do care. Send comments, thoughts, hopes, and prayers to kivecast at gmail.com or respond to the forum post on Rebel Scum. Or respond to the blog at the SWCA.com. Or respond to one of the Facebook posts, either on our own Facebook page, please like us, or on the Star Wars Collectors Archive page, please like us there too. There's too many places to say you love us. But you know what the best place is? iTunes. Go there and rate us. But seriously, go to iTunes. That's what helps us the most if you want to help us out, Space Freaks. We've been doing this for six years now. All right, let's get our Steve back with some feedback. I think that did go really well, Steve. (laughs) That was, uh, I got to admit, you know, because I feel like I know Derek really well. I feel like I've seen Ross a lot, but I don't know him particularly well, Ross Cuddy. I feel like I'm starting to know Ross Barr. You know, I've met Greg, but never really hung out with him. And I yeah. certainly don't think of all of those people kind of hanging out. It wasn't like when we had, you know, Chris and Ron and Tommy on, and I know they all hang out. Right. But yeah. I think in some ways it was good because they didn't want to interrupt each other, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, a wildly successful uh, roundtable, so. Yeah, and I think the topic is going to be of interest, so. Yeah, I think so. Um Boy, it's hard to think, you know, one of the things I love about the prequel, Steve, is uh, the the sense of, like, travel. So it's like, you know, people like to poop on the prequels, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, like, when you think about where an episode starts, and then where it ends, and all the different places that you go, mm-hmm. it can be hard to remember when you're on Geonosis... <laughs> That you were actually at some point at Dexter's Diner. Like, it's it's just weird, like, kind of how it all goes through there. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's hard to imagine that there was a time where I was waxing uh, poetic about the 
different kinds of lawn jockeys. Um, <laughs> and then to go through That's that true. whole conversation and then find us here in, yeah. in feedback. And uh, I really don't know what to say. Steve, we need to centralize our feedback. I, I think that's a good plan, yes. <laughs> because do you know how little feedback we get? It's – well, yeah, it, it's sparse. I'll, I'll say that. No, it is ridiculous is what it is. <laughs> and I don't think it's just us. I think a lot of podcasts have this issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is just ridiculous. Um, and I, I know people are listening. So what do we do, Steve? Where do we tell them to go? Do we tell them all to go to one place? I mean, well, you know, one thing I'll say is that when we, when we post to rebel scum, that, that tends to get the most response. Um, the blog posts with, with everything, they get nothing. Nothing. But I, I get that. That's kind of it's kind of just the places the, the show's permanent place to to be. So right. I understand that too. I mean, the, the old blog we got some weird spam and other you know things like that wasn't really the the, the forum for it either. So um, I don't know. Um, just have to kind of wait and see. I mean, I, I think it's hard to say. But you're right, though. I, I've I don't think this is a problem just for us. Um, I mean, the email, there's definitely, I, I, I completely didn't look at it for like three years, so I'm, I'm <laughs> to blame for that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Well, you know what I just did? Uh-oh. So, because you know how many comments Ron got on his crazy awesome uh, look at a Death Star racing set? Uh, I'm going to guess none. None. So I just posted on his thing. Everybody who does not post a comment about this article is a fake Star Wars collector. <laughs> so this is what I want you to do, Space Freaks. Don't even comment on our stuff. Go and find the Look at the Duel Death Star uh, racing set and post on that if you like the Kivecast, right? Because last <laughs> month I said if you have a problem, write a letter to Steve. I have not received any letters, but we didn't uh, exactly... <laughs> <laughs> We didn't exactly what, Steve? How are you going to finish that? I don't know. We, we didn't exactly say where to send the letters to. No, that's true. <laughs> um, send it to the American well, hey, Film well, Archive in Hollywood, the <laughs> care of Steve Danley. <laughs> uh, but, what, you know, on the flip side, having no things saying people didn't like it's a good thing, right? It means they liked it. That's so, true. That's hey, true. Think, think positive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so there wasn't that much to comment on. Um, uh, Fuzzy Buzzy did, uh, did comment that he wanted to go back to the, uh, the figure of the month. Although right. he's probably also still waiting for a star tot. Um, <laughs> I still have it. It's still coming. Don't worry. Um, so, you know, we are going back to the figure of the month, but I think we might do it kind of like this where it gets kind of themed in with the figure of the month. But sure. Steve, I think we talked a lot about the Black Bespin Guard. Yeah, yeah. I oh, snap. We forgot to do the lightning round with Greg. Ah, uh, well, I might have to, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That'll be like five years from now when yes. we, recycle, we recycle the guest list. and. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, as far as just general stuff, I mean, I think the whole thing with uh, with Bruce, I I don't know. I I told you this already. I that was one of the funniest. I don't know. I I was hurting terribly through that whole experience. 
And uh, I don't know, if nothing else, the fact that people thought that was pretty funny um, and got some jokes out of that, that, that that's, that's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I got to say, I was really hesitant. I, I almost took it out of the entire show. Uh, I'm really I, glad you didn't. I couldn't tell if it was too inside jokey, you know, like, you. in order to get that's funny, you have to know that, whatever, three years ago we made a joke that well, yeah, Phidias yeah. and Bruce don't get along, and then you have to know that Phidias is a really nice guy and that Bruce is a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah. people know that generally, you know. Yeah. But and you did the right thing about prefacing it like yeah. that. That was needed. So hey, I, I wouldn't worry. But um, then I was worried about that's... destroying the joke by explaining it too much. But really, <laughs> well, I, Steve, I so. if it made you laugh, then that's fine with me because. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> if anything else, I was going to make you send me at least some audio file of that just yeah. so I could. Um, no, yeah. I, I'm the artist. I, I painted you. <laughs> that, uh... Yeah. Well, and look what yeah. it did for Bruce. It it sent his career into the stratosphere. Now that yes. he's a, a dangerous yeah. outside artist. It also, I think, it honestly, you know, prevented Phidias from showing up at the art show this weekend, even though he, <laughs> he knew he knew Bruce wasn't going to be there. No. Uh, all right. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, I uh, think I'm all used up. Um, yeah, are, are you yeah. going to go see uh, the the uh, you know the new movie uh, Hunger Games? Yeah, I was going to say I'm really stoked for Hunger Games. I'm also really, really pumped for for Creed. You know, because I'm a you know a huge Rocky fan. No, no, oh really. yeah! Oh, see, I, uh, I thought that was about the Christian rock band. Arms wide open. Do you know about his obsession with the Miami Marlins? Sorry, this is we get we got to end the show with baseball. No, we, right? I, dude, tell me everything about uh, okay. Scott Stapp, right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So wait, I, is he named that. after the lame vehicle from episode one? Yes, Scott no. Stapp. <laughs> yes. And number two, does he have a brother named Roger? Because it'd be Roger, Roger, Stapp. Okay, continue. Um, all right, so, you know, probably 10 years ago, uh, I was at a Dodger game against the, the then Florida Marlins, and Scott Stapp sang the national anthem, which I thought was like, oh, okay, I, oh, whatever. I mean, and a few months later, uh, I saw someone post, I forgot, it was some sports website. He did a, he does the theme song, or at least he did for the Marlins, like their fight song. That they would oh play God. at the stadium, and there's a whole music video for it, and I, I can't even try to imitate. I just you need to look it up. But the, my favorite line is, you know, "Come on, Marlins, make me proud," <laughs> <laughs> and that's, it's just amazing. Let's play ball, it's game day. We want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Take the field, hear the roar of the crowd. And the fact that we've gotten somehow to Scott Stapp, the Miami Marlins, and uh, 
you know, I think it, it might be time to go, right? Yeah. Well, it's been three <laughs> hours, Steve. We just yeah. got to the Gargan Largan. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, are, are we are we uh, going to maybe tease Luke Hoth or are we going to just leave it nebulous? Are we gonna no, say, we're not going to tease Luke Hoth. Is Ty Pilot the next one? Ty Pilot is the next one. Well, on that's the, cool because the because uh, you know, unlike uh, Luke, the Tie Pilot is going to be in the next movie. That's, um, <laughs> that's so true. so it'll be really fun, I think, to to have the juice after watching the movie and the yeah. excitement. And uh, it's um, yeah, it's it's really exciting, Steve. Yeah. Um, it's, are it's you are a- you seeing it Thursday or Friday? I'm seeing it. Thursday, yeah, yeah, you are. Look at you, yeah. prequel hater. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for seeing it right away. Um, but I'm, you know, it's hard to hard to explain the psychological state that I'm in. It's it's conflicted. Yes, as well, you should be. Oh, and also, um, uh, we should also mention that uh, we single handedly destroyed FanDuel and oh. DraftKings last uh, month. I uh, I was so satisfied to see that and the fact that I could share that with you. Yes. It, it, of course, it's in the state of New York, New York too. So I'm like, yeah. oh, this is this is perfect. So the first legal <laughs> actions to take down those horrible crooks is uh, <laughs> is is in action. Yeah, and, right. And that's that's pretty exciting. Oh, and speaking of. Not sponsors, but sponsors of other podcasts, and we accidentally <laughs> kind of advertised for them, Steve. Um, I'm still hooked on that stupid tar- card trader app. Oh, no. But the nice thing is, like, listeners will, like, make really sweetheart deals with me. I was going to say, are they, are they trading with the show's account? Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of my account. Sorry, dude. I, I know it's your but account. But do you know it's... what I did? Because it's called Kivecast. I, like, what? went super hardcore and got three of the B-Wing... Uh, inserts. Sweet. It's Macquarie painted B wings. Oh man! So, so I got three of those. I got one for myself, one if you ever start your own, and then okay. one for the show account. So I got All you right. covered, Steve. That's why it's awesome. Kivecast. But All look right. us up on Kivecast and make us sweetheart deals. I'm trying to complete the 1977 set. Uh, if you want to trade with me, I'll trade you anything but Chewbacca. Um, <laughs> and that's uh, that's been turning out pretty well. Good deal. But yeah, awesome. Well, Steve, uh, I've got to go teach. And uh, yeah, I'll. um, What's that other thing we see? Oh, yeah, Wampa Wampa. Adios.